Zencaster. Hey, oh, but well, now um, we don't get any of that authentic banter that people want or oh, whatever. Oh, yeah, oh, I mean, this the is thing authentic, is, I, authentic banter right here. I, I, I can't do authentic, authentic banter real. because I've been on the internet driving myself insane for the last. You got to stop looking at. at I can't. At I can't. Real. I can't. No, I, I, I've been driving myself. I, I do. Real. I do what I do, where I Down tweet. Home. I, I tweet and do authentic a hit and Appalachian where... banter. Yeah. Uh, something, sort of like something, something Gordon down Gawkins, in the holler. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 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 We're here. We're here in the holler, recording a podcast. I have a possum with me. The trillies are just off stage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I uh, yeah. We're we're in West Virginia, uh, the most yeah. beautiful of all fifty states. That's right. Our we're guest a, is a large lump of anthracite. Yeah, we're here in. A, no, that's not. That's bituminous in West Virginia. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, anthracite is. Uh, uh, we Pennsylvania have Joe Manchin dangling off a balcony. Yeah, we're, 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 we're here. Here. Beautiful. Yacht. Is West yeah, beautiful. Say the word. Beautiful so, city of nitro. Mm. Um, I think uh, Joe Manchin might have a yacht. There's actually, he, he I mean, the Kana is. He literally does. He literally has a boat. Yeah, yeah. The Kana is navigable. Oh my God, what did I do? The Kana is navigable. So you know. <laughs> uh, uh, what, what's the river in Alabama? I'm thinking of the Coosa. The uh, Tom Bagee? No, no, that's Mississippi. Well, hello and welcome. So, to no, your problem. no, it's shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, w- I want to introduce our guests. And we're being rude. Yeah, and those oh, aren't oh, Did you just say yeah? Yeah, yeah. Because he said <laughs> yeah, we're being rude. Yeah. All right, <laughs> fucking end it. No, end the podcast. No, no, that's ridiculous. You sit the corner, and I'll tell you when to talk. Do, do you remember that 4chan green text that was like? Yeah. Uh, you know, t- tell a German, see you later. He says, yeah. What time? Yep. <laughs> that is extremely accurate. And I am a lump of brown Kohle from Germany today on this podcast. Yeah. Very happy the, to the, be like, here. Coal mining handshake between yeah, yeah. West Virginia mm-hmm. and Germany. Yes. Exactly. Tearing up the world one village at a time. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you could you could you could tear down a whole city of nitro, West Virginia. Leave leave West Virginia. We, West West Virginians cannot be trusted with a bag of two eight eight. They just can't. Oh my God! You imagine that? You 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 know it took it took the world uh four and a half billion years to wear down the Appalachians, but one bag or two eight eight, boom. <laughs> That's done in a couple. That's done in a couple months. Yeah, it's gonna. It's gonna look like fucking Holland after they're done with it. Just flat. Yeah. Like zero. Zero feet above sea level. Below sea flat. level. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The the polders of West Virginia. Yeah. Um. Hello and welcome to Well, there's your problem. It's a podcast about engineering disasters with slides. I'm Justin Rosniak. I'm the person who's talking right now. My pronouns are he and him. Okay, go. Guten Morgen, liebe Sonne. Uh, my name is Alex uh-huh. Kelly. I'm the person who's speaking now. My pronouns are she and her and Z, I guess. Yay, Liam. Uh, yeah, hi. I'm Liam Anderson. My pronouns are he and him. We have a uh, guest. We're, go- we're going through it. We have a guest. Guest, introduce yourself. Yes, What's your hello. Deal? I am Edouard. What's all you're going to learn about me? Because I might say something on the podcast that could get me fired from my job. So I wish to remain anonymous. My pronouns are he, him. We, love, him an, we love an anonymous guest. Very yes. happy to be here. Mm. Thanks so much for yeah. coming. Long time little, listener, little, first time caller, as they say. A little better off than our last guest, who may or may not be killed for the episode. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think, say, say what you like about your employers. I think they're relatively unlikely to have you assassinated. My yes, employer is, is Braz. 
Wow. Well, actually, my employer is milkshake, but yeah, this is true. Milkshake, think... milkshake may kill me at any time. Yeah, we had, we had to put all the company in milkshake's name. You know, yeah, the LLC is just this book. It's got a little paw print where the signature oh. field is. Oh milkshake. my god, yeah. I'm employed by the Pop. beautiful city of Berlin, Germany, which, as far as I know, does not employ any squads of assassins. <laughs> but you yeah. never know. Best to sort of, uh, you know, keep one eye open, I think. Yeah. Always. You, th you thought the paw print was in red ink, but it's actually in blood. <laughs> My blood from scratching me. <laughs> and trying to eat your beard. Yes. Um, so what you see on the screen in front of you... It's a wall. It's, it's, a, it's, a, photo it's a photo of central Berlin circa central like 1980. Yeah. It looks very Appalachian, actually. Well, because that's what they do, the like infill from all of the coal mining mm -hmm. elsewhere in Germany. Mm -hmm. They just kind of like dump it on Berlin and big uh, heaps. Makes oh, sense. It's very scenic. It's why people come, the tourists and everything, it just come from the mountains. <laughs> it's like how they want to, they wanted to build that mountain in the disused airfield. Whatchamacallit. I should I I I can't remember. Templehof, I food. Templehof, yeah. <laughs> I mean Westminster had a mound, you know. Why can't why can't Templehof, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And you can't have a Baukine without a Baug, so yeah. you know. This is yeah. this is a good mountainized this is Gunter Failinger can get on this. Mountainized Berlin. I don't I know like what that. that means, but we've got to do it. Like, we're get out find the, out, the city <laughs> skylines like uh like terrain editing tool, and we're gonna dump a bunch of mountains gonna... in it. Take Berlin and Charleston, West Virginia, and have them swap places. <laughs> it's kind of mixed. You see, actually illegal to build in many in many districts of Berlin. Look, I mean, downtown Charleston is actually very nice. Surprisingly good bus system too. Hmm. Um, but plus, if you're in West Virginia, you can go to Morgantown and take the the what's it called? Personal the rapid BRT. transit. There we go. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's that, that's another episode. But yeah, so we're going to talk about a wall. Which existed in Berlin, but this is actually the wrong wall. Yeah, it's a little yeah, joke. Yeah. It's a nice little yeah, visual gag, yes. That's a, yeah. a yoke. It's a we're cute we're postcard, be... which you can buy in Berlin yeah. mm. and send to your relatives around the world to tell them you've been there. <laughs> it, today's disaster socialism with German characteristics. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but, um, oh boy, aren't you all excited for this one? But first, we have oh, to do Jesus. the goddamn news. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Fucking yeah, yeah. kill me. <laughs> uh, well, Benny from Cheltenham is on it, I assume, given the- Yeah, Benny Benny from Cheltenham. God damn it. Are you How serious? <laughs> Why is oh, it doing God, this it's to stuck. me? It's stuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is about the level of like, this is how my brain feels also all the time now, lately, these last few days, because I've been poisoning it on Twitter. Yep. Stop. Stop yeah. doing that. No. No, I can't. I'm, I, I'm too I, angry. You have to. Uh, this is a wellness check. Play the FBI drop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I thought. I thought. Sort of like as this is an episode that might run quite long in terms of time, we would pick a nice, easy news item that we could bang out in like ten minutes. So oh, yeah, I, I was about to say Israel, Palestine. Who you got? <laughs> oh, uh, Palestine and five. I... Palestine and five. You want to parlay that with Ukraine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got like Julia Fox is getting the helicopter to Atlantic City to place my like thirteen-way parlay on every single international conflict. Yeah, I'm calling why every single one. Why won't draft right. Fox let us party? <laughs> uh, it's bad. It's yeah. Bad. Why is he Benny from Cheltenham? Benny from Cheltenham High, because he went to Cheltenham High School. <laughs> yeah, so I I knew that 
Benjamin Netanyahu was like like grew up partially in Philly and is therefore like our least favorite Philadelphian. But like the fact that you like have it down to the exact suburb is like yeah. so yeah. insulting. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know what his Wawa order is. Well, we 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 discussed that in the last one, and we thought he may be too highbrow to. Uh, the last time we discussed this, I rewatched that. There's no that, way actually. he doesn't have a Wawa order. No, I think he might be too highbrow to ever gone to Wawa. That's um, in addition yeah, to so, being a, a, a rampaging mass murderer, genocidal maniac, he also is too good for Wawa. Yeah. So who's to uh, say which is worse? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Hamas. Uh, instigated this attack on areas surrounding the Gaza Strip um, involving like, you know, people in paragliders and, you know, people overran a fence and they went and they got, they fucked up a rave that was happening right nearby. Um, You know, they fucked up a whole bunch of people. Um, And, you know, this has been, you know, this is like the worst attack that occurred in Israel uh, for a long, long time. Since probably um, the Yom Kippur War. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think since before the Yom Kippur War. Depending um, on how you look at it, it's maybe like the worst thing since right. 48 for Israelis, yeah. Yeah, and it's... Uh, I, that is not good. And so, you know, the Israelis are, as usual, responding with restrained and proportional uh, yeah. attacks. That's, that's the word I would, yeah. I would yeah. use. Yeah. Yeah. Being, being sort of assisted in that by uh, every Western leader, most notably Joe Biden. Uh, yeah. There's, there's like, U.S. military aid coming into Israel. Uh, you know, th- they essentially have carte blanche to do genocide, which is what they right. want to do. It's what they want yeah, to do I'm, for a long this, is what, this is what, we cannot stress enough, this is what Benjamin Netanyahu has always wanted. Uh, mm. There's evidence that Hamas was funded by Israel up until what 2019, I want to oh, say. Yeah, it sounds because about of the, right. Like, brains genius strategy of being like, well, I don't have to deal with the like uh, the Palestinian Authority if I just boost Hamas, and it's going to make Palestine much more unpopular. Which I guess in this instance it kind of has at the cost merely of like what like over a thousand dead Israelis, and then probably at least double that Palestinians in two days. It's amazing how the strategy is the same every single time, and it has the same fucking outcome every single time in the Middle East. Well, I don't want to deal with the secular guys because they're kind of socialist, so we better fund these religious yahoos instead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's not as if the secular guys were above a bit of like indiscriminate murder now and then. Yeah, but you could at least talk to them, sort of reason with them, right? And, yeah. and to be fair, like you could have talked to Hamas before this, before this, which is now like beyond the pale. Like they, if if you go and you look, the number of like uh, sort of ceasefire agreements they have proposed to Israel, and yeah, you can say this is like grandstanding and it's like hypocritical and they were never going to do it, but like they're the ones who like time after time have like come to the negotiating table, and the Israeli government under Netanyahu every time has been like, no, we can we can squeeze this more, you know, there yeah. there are some more which is which is which is the goal. Yeah, we can just keep yeah. this going indefinitely. We can kick this can down the road. It's never going to come back to bite us. Yeah, and I mean, I, for our listeners, um, you know, the the we the talk about the uh, you know, you hear in the abstract the uh, the Gaza Strip. You know, you hear about Israeli occupation. You got to understand this is a this is a place which is about exactly the same size as Philadelphia with twice the population. 50% of whom are children, baby! 50% yep. of if it, if whom it was are a country, children. it would yep. be the third most densely populated one in the world. Yeah, um, up there with like, uh, you know, Singapore and crap, you know, and this is, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> well, and it's, it's the very, famous nation of crap. 
Yes. <laughs> Famously very dense. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and, and Israel controls everything that goes in, everything that comes. They run it like the Willy Wonka chocolate factory. You know, no one goes in, no one comes out. Um, you know, I was ready to hear uh, that sense today, I'll tell yeah, you that. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't ready for this sort of like Oompa Loompa genocide comparison. Yeah, well, you know, I wanted to say something other than open air prison, which is what everyone else is saying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Merely because it's an accurate description. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing is, though, we're kind of short on accurate descriptions because the the discourse, man, not to make the worst thing about this the discourse, because the worst thing is the things, right? But yeah. like, it, it is making me feel insane. Genuinely, yes. to to like see mm -hmm. everyone in politics and everyone in media go, uh, these attacks were unprovoked, which is not true. Not uh, true. <laughs> they, uh, you know, Israel has a right to uh, defend itself by bombing civilians, by doing genocide. Yeah, yeah, Ooh, great. Which is also not true, and therefore we must fund this. And if you oppose any of this, you are an anti-Semite and you don't care about dead Israelis, which is not true. Yeah. Right. Hi, I'm Jewish, and I can tell you that uh, it's not. It's, <laughs> I, I guess I, the, the thing that's been exhausting me the most is this this idea that, like, if you have any sort of feeling for Palestinians in this at all, what you are doing is refusing to condemn Hamas, right? And it, I would have hoped, and I know this is naive of me, I would have hoped and I would have imagined that, you know, indiscriminate murder in the streets is something that does not require a lot of condemnation. You can just kind of assume. Sort of, sort of, sort of goes without saying, you yeah, know. Uh, <laughs> absent a couple of, like, uh, very weird people on the internet, yeah. you can kind of assume nobody is that pleased, right, with the terrorist attacks. Yes. But, no, apparently not. Apparently that's the thing that we have to talk about exclusively. Yes. Yeah, I have to say, I have to preface every single statement that you say with, I condemn violence, but... Um, yeah, and right, it, it, it's right. like, none of none of anything else ever has to be caveated with, you know, you don't ever have to condemn the occupation, you don't have to condemn the blockade, you don't have yeah. to condemn settlers, you don't have to condemn any of that, um, and you will never ever be asked to. Um, yeah. it's, it's just infuriating. Right. And also, when yeah. linguistically in the media, like, Palestinians and Hamas are slowly becoming synonyms, you know, yes. who are you talking yeah. about? Yes. Are you yes. talking about terrorists? Yeah. Or are you talking about Palestinians? They're one and the same, maybe. Every child out there is a, is a fighter. Is a, is a terrorist. Yeah, I saw something that was like, oh, you know, they're, they're not children, they're, they're soldiers. And it's like, child soldier kind of has child in the name. Yeah. Like, if that's where we are, where they're like, we're dehumanizing these people who live in an open air prison where their day to day is controlled by a fascist government, like, and I can say, uh, obviously, as a as a you know as a Jewish person, as a human being, there's a lot of emotions, much of which I've, I found is a profound sadness. Mm. That like yeah. this is yeah. this is just this is just it's always gonna fucking go this way. I I just the thing is I I cannot imagine people being surprised, right? That Hamas of all people would behave horrifically, would commit horrific yeah. crimes, right? And just from even elementary knowledge of, like, why Hamas exists, why it's there, why the Gaza Strip is, like, in the sort of, like, open-air prison situation that it is, you know? It, it, is it a surprise to those people that, like, uh, a sort of, like, a fundamentalist extremist movement that has been deliberately cultivated by the Israeli government is then both extremely powerful and also willing to act hatefully. You know, it's it's just... Here's the other thing. It sounds like 
a lot of these reports, especially the most lurid ones, and there's been a lot of very mm. lurid reports of violence from yes. Hamas. It sounds like a lot of them are not true. Oh, fully. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, right. It, like, right. We, we you can know. you can condemn attacks on civilians without resorting to, uh, you know, at L.A. The, Times this morning, I believe, retracted any reports of rape at the rave that they right. fucked up, for instance. Yeah. The, the uh, one and that. Then, the big one that we've been sort of like going back and forth on in the media here is, here is uh, 40 decapitated babies, which yeah, to me, not I, true. I mean, you can, you can find stuff like that in like, in, in like, you know, like anti-German propaganda from World War One, right? The right. real shit is bad enough. I mean, maybe it's going to yeah. come out that that's true. I don't know. But like, in general, as a traumatizing myself, looking at like reposted Telegram gore ass person, like... Mostly the impression I got is that no one was having the sort of like time for Baroque killings. Mostly it's just like kind of the yeah. regular depressing kind of it, murder. Yeah, like it's, it's a it, shot. Like it, 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 it sounds like, yeah, it's uh, uh, the, the, the lurid versus the banal. The banal stuff is much more plausible. Which is, you know, they they just shot a bunch of people as opposed right. to I don't know or, or some kind of some kind of saw yeah. movie torture scenario and kidnapped um, <laughs> a bunch of people. Which means that yeah. now there's like God knows how many Israelis in <laughs> in Gaza, uh, which is now being bombed extensively. Mm -hmm. uh, the and Israeli government's is position, Hannibal Directive, yes, yeah, is, is is we don't give a fuck. Like, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, better dead I'm, than captured is literally there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm surprised they don't just you know use the neutron bomb that they may or may not have. Oh, a little too uh, close, bud. Don't mind a bit please, of a tough do, sound. Do the worst, do the worst please, fall please don't touch that lathe. I I swear to God. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I, to me, the thing about this strategically for Hamas, right? Absent the moral considerations, is. Part of the point of doing this is you prevent Saudi Arabia from normalizing relations with Israel, right? It's it's another yeah. sort of like blow against occupation in theory, but like it seems so kind of like confused in motive because you you kidnap these these civilians and soldiers and you're like, okay, well we'll use these as bargaining chips, and then you commit an attack that makes no one want to negotiate with you. Uh, it, it's it just seems sort of like well self defeating, you know. I, I feel like about Hamas from, is from Hamas's angle because I I I agree with that. Although I think at the same time, desperate people, desperate deeds for sure. Yeah, Hamas yeah. is sort of like the dog that caught the car at this point. I don't mm. think anyone anyone mm. who uh, anyone who was heading towards that fence thought they were going to make it over alive. And once those guys made it over that wall they're a force of nature at that point. There's not much you can do to like control or stop them. Yeah. I mean, this reminds me a lot of like, I bet I, the metaphor I thought of in my head is like the, the Johnstown flood. Um, a lot of rich people caused this to happen. They knew it was going to happen. And the people, the people who caused it are not, not the people who uh, reap the consequences. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think about like peasant rebellions, you know, jackeries, yeah. stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to get yelled at for this comparison, but even like slave rebellions and slave uprisings, where it's like, no, the first thing you do is you torture everyone who even looks like they've ever, you know, possibly benefited from your years of oppression. Yeah, it's anti-colonial violence. It's ugly. It's nasty. It's terrible. It's, you know, there's a lot of ways to avoid it, but you have to actually try. You also have to want to avoid it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's like the and impression in itself isn't quite as bad as going into people's homes and killing them, but it's like each drop on the stone, you know, after a thousand years, you've got a hollow. And 
Well, so sometimes it is going into people's homes and killing them. Yeah, you know, and, and just in, in like a stochastic sort of more distributed way. Um, and again, just purely on the numbers, if you look at the like numbers of dead, it doesn't even begin to compare. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, and so I, I I guess maybe you know one of one of the things we we have a uh, we see these these videos in the media now of the most humane harmony in history. Um, you know, uh, bombing apartment blocks, but it's okay because they've been warned. Um, this one yeah. in particular, mm -hmm. this is the this mm -hmm. is the Palestine Tower. Um, you can see being hit by some kind of very large missile. Uh, this is an eleven-story building. Um, How the fuck are people supposed to evacuate out of there? What's the yeah, what's the logic? Um, the best that I know that they they did the uh, the traditional roof knock, which is they send a They're, small bomb to blow up the roof. Yeah, and which then is, again, that's a spotting round with good PR. Like that's yeah, all it is. Yeah, basically. I mean, it's like, and then okay, you got 10, 20 minutes to evacuate, and you know, you got to think, okay, we got lots of families with small kids. Lots of people who are disabled because they got their legs shot off by the IDF. You maybe you have people who, you know, it's very difficult to evacuate one of these buildings in time before it gets knocked over by this big shitty missile. Um, you know, and then, of course, once the building comes down, you got the huge uh, debris cloud. And then uh, everyone within like two or three blocks gets the 9-11 cancer. Yeah, I mean, um, the th thing that I saw right before logging on to do this was I saw um, uh, they just like essentially did a, a double tap strike, and I, I saw like a, a mulched Palestinian ambulance. Yeah, uh, and, and then he got like the uh, the uh, what's it? They told everyone to evacuate to the town square in one of these suburbs in there, and then they bombed the town square. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cruelty for the sake of cruelty. Not that that should surprise anyone at this point, but. Um, and I had another thing to say. I forgot what it was. It was a good one, though. It's probably like um, free Palestine. Like the well, only, you know, because because like not as as vanishingly impossible as any of this looks. Now, the only way any of this is ever going to end is with the end of occupation and the end of the blockade. And like you know, the two state solution doesn't exist anymore. So it has no, to be like one a, state solution. Yeah, like a, a secular, uh, again a country called or, country with a yeah. con line called language. Yeah, you let me run it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah. like the no name groceries branded country. Right. And yeah. They speak Esperanto there. They yes. do. They yeah, speak you, Esperanto you, there. You can fix this real fucking quick. All you oh, have to boy. do is tear down the fence, I mean, right? Um, yeah. That's 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 basically that's step one. Step sort two: give everyone option, Israeli yeah. citizenship, citizenship, and then step three: hold elections. Um, I probably need a Truth and Reconciliation Commission in there somewhere. Well, yeah. that's true. I mean, I, I do think there is something also which is kind of positive and heartening about this, though, which is that you look at this sort of this, this, you know, the state of Israel relies very heavily on like defense as like a cornerstone of its economy because it's like, OK, um, we, we have the most secure defense system in the world. We have all these very high tech systems. Um, you can come and look at the Gaza Strip and sit, look at how well all this is working. We got we got the the handgun that kills a building. Yeah. We got the um, we got the uh, the Iron Dome system that shoots everything out of the air. We have the uh, we have the automated sentry turret with the facial recognition that can headshot you instantly, so you don't waste bullets. Um, you know we have all this set up pointing at the Gaza Strip all the time. Um, 
all of the fucking time. And yeah, they sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge at other nations, especially Western nations. Like, okay, you know, when the climate change water wars come up, you're going to need this shit. Yeah, I mean, they, tra- you know? they train <laughs> cops and, and soldiers, yeah. you know, and they sell this stuff to them. Um, and um and and all these systems worked great until they came up they they hit one piece of organized resistance not even like great organized resistance was not even high tech organized resistance all these systems shat the fucking bed <laughs> yeah there's going to be a broader point about like the efficacy long term of border walls in here yeah yeah so i'm i'm kind of i'm kind of like okay maybe 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 we have a chance in the uh, in the future if all these defense systems just don't fucking work. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> I appreciate the optimism, I'll tell you. Yeah, because yeah, the pessimistic version is in the end, they either kill them all or make them all go away. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. that's where it looks like it's heading at time of recording. By the time this comes out, I mean, I don't even know. But... Yeah, who knows? Um... Well, you know that 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 is uh, that that is a, a, a different thing, but it, it's good to know that you you can get through the wall. It's true. I mean, I, like I kind of described this as like Hamas deciding to go out like Butch and Sundance, right? Right. Uh, yeah. And it's because this was kind of like if you look at the far right, even within the already far right Israeli government, if you look at um, Ben Gvir and and, and Smartrek, it's like this was always on the cards. They've always wanted to just like bulldoze it all into the ocean and have done with it. Um, and for Hamas to sort of like just bring up the schedule on that and, you know, for them to sort of like do some killing in the opposite direction, sort of as indiscriminately, it's, I mean, if nothing else, it humiliates those guys, which... Yeah, great. Yeah, I mean, I, this this is this is a uh, big humiliation for the IDF and the uh, intelligence services. You know, it's a, the, the, mm. the, you know, but I I don't know. I I I think there's the at least something to you know. It's good to see these high tech weapon systems just fucking no, nah, they they don't Shut work. Nothing works. Yeah, nothing works. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, if, I I don't know. I I get some. I get some. I feel hopeful for that. You know. Really, really mining for that silver lining, but yeah, right. got there in the <laughs> way, end. way down in there. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, that that was a big goddamn news. Uh. But we have to. We're done talking about the Gaza wall. We have to talk about another wall. All right. So Hitler, we gotta... dude, what the? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, so I, I, I used that's the, not um, a real fucking language. It's it's <laughs> a du- it's a Dutch Nazi paper. Yeah. Uh, I, I've just always found, ever since I saw it, Hitler dude, what new to be <laughs> incredibly funny. So, so uh, some of our audience, I'm reliably informed, are not, in fact, sixty-year-old train enthusiasts, yeah. but are like teens. And because of no child left behind and stuff, we have like, to teach you. You will be yeah, getting college credit yeah, for this. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah, you, none of you learned in school about anything that happened in Europe in the 20th century. And so no, on a remedial no. basis. American education uh, ends at like history education ends at like just after the civil war, right before reconstruction starts. Um. Well, the, okay. So the, the, this is Adolf Hitler, bad dude. Uh, and, and well, mm, dude, yeah. dude also in that sense. Uh, yeah. And yeah, after he died and after world war two ended, uh, the victorious Allied powers decided to like we had, we had to break up this Germany shit, right? Um, 
Which... It's not working for anyone anymore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just like you kind of lose your, your country privileges. Um, it worked a lot better when it was, you know, several million tiny warring provinces. I mean, that would have been a really funny thing to do, is to break into break into yeah, Germany, yeah. denazify it by turning it into like 571 little like princedoms again. We're bringing back the Holy Roman Empire. Yeah. They would just reinvent <laughs> Prussia like yeah. from first principles again. Yeah, so. it just has to happen again. Just start over again. <laughs> uh, just like uh, looking forward to sort of like some U.S. general appointing the new Prince Bishop of Ulm. Um, <laughs> so, so as as we see here. Uh, Germany is uh, like, you know, it's like Gaul, it's divided into parts. Uh, so Britain gets a sector, which is in green, it's the, it's the like northwest bit. Um, yep. America gets a sector, which is like Bavaria and like a couple of other bits of the south. France, yeah, you, get, you get the fun bit. bit. You get the fun <laughs> bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so if, you, if you're an American soldier, you get to go to like Oktoberfest. And if you're yeah. a British soldier, you get to like eat pickled herring by yeah. some industrial mm. docks that you've bombed five minutes earlier. Um, you get to go. You I get think to in go the American out. case, this had a lasting effect on the image of Germany in the US, like because all the mm. GIs coming back—that's what they knew for the most part—and you know, thirty-five yeah. years of occupation being mostly in Bavaria again or in Berlin, and it's it's really all they know. So they got this really friendly, beautiful image of Germany, but it's uh, I don't like that. Mm. I've, I've always <laughs> said Bavaria is Germany's Texas. <laughs> Yes, yeah, it is. <laughs> Meanwhile, the sort of the British image, the lasting British uh, like military memory of occupation is uh, like a blue Mercedes van full of sausages and beer bouncing through like a like a tank training ground. Uh, I, in, I in, like, like that too. Rain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I should have put a picture of that. Um, <laughs> France also gets a sector just because you know they like to say that they've done something because and... De Gaulle bullied everyone. Participation trophies are real, and if you yeah. complain hard enough, you can get one. Um, Why is there all? Uh, Everyone else a, was afraid of them. Yeah, a tiny, a tiny um, American sector up here. Are they? I don't. I don't know what city this is. Is this like? Bremen. Yeah, the, I don't know why the Americans city, got to yeah. occupy Bremen. I think but... it was so they could have a port. I think. I thought it was. I thought that was the free Hanseatic city of Bremen. Um, <laughs> finally, finally, uh, America has access to the open sea. Uh, I was about to say, yeah, they got the uh, they, you know, Thanks, I guess because it's because it's the free the free city. They gave it to America because we have freedom. Yeah, that's true, uh, and burgers. Um, I mean, Hamburg so, please don't free ask city any too. other questions. Yeah. I said, and please then, don't ask any other questions. And then, <laughs> doing most of the sort of heavy lifting here, you see this big red swath of of East Germany. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, so part of the reason why the Soviet sector exists and why the sectorization exists is because, uh, I, like. The, the dying days of the war were the Allies racing east and the Soviets racing west in order to determine where those borders would be. Uh, and absent this kind of like negotiated settlement, the Soviets just would have occupied most, if not all, of Germany. Uh, and it would have been an intriguingly entirely communist country. They um, might even have gone on and kept all going. the way to Antwerp, you know? Yeah. Uh, like. And which is where you get Churchill's fucking Operation Unthinkable of like arming, oh, the, Ger the, SS. the German, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but you may notice this little like fun kaleidoscope yeah, right in the heart of of East Germany, uh, the Soviet sector, uh, and that's Berlin, uh, not actual size, <laughs> not quite. No. <laughs> I mean, Bremen is also quite large; it's not that big. Uh, so, sort of mega city Berlin. Um, yes. 
which in itself gets divided again. So there's like enclaves, 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 enclaves. Uh, enclaves. Yeah, not quite sure which mix of British and French to use for that. Um, yeah, it's but, so... an enclave. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, related to the word clav. Probably, honestly, is related to the word clavicle. Now that I think about it. Mm. But you get a you get a like a an, an enclave of each of the Western sectors in Berlin, uh, where you know the Americans have a bit of West Berlin and the Brits and the French. Uh, for a while, there was a power sharing thing where they would drive around like it was, it was called the International Patrol. Vienna had this too, where all of the like law enforcement in Berlin was a jeep with one guy from each nationality in it, and that's to me been like the ultimate buddy cop movie. That's desert. terrific. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's terrific. It's like really not getting on with the French guy, you know, sort of an alliance forming in the back two suits. Oh, so so like uh, so like World War Two. <laughs> yeah, very much. So if we go to the next slide, we can have a closer look at the divided Berlin. It's a beautiful map. I love I love the font, the title. Ooh, it's just uh, very playful. Cursive, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got some good. Well, the sans serif font is also very good. Yeah, it, I'll say this for the Germans: very, very strongly fonted people. Oh, they yeah. love a font. Oh yeah, God. Yeah. Well, the problem was they, you know, once they hit, once the Swiss did Helvetica, um, mm, it ruined sans serif fonts because you once know there Helvetica, was just, there was just you know, yeah, exactly. You I know? think we're sort of an anti-Helvetica podcast. I think we can. No, say no, that. give me, give me some accidents grotesque. Come on. Mm. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> I like. I listen. I like Gil Sands, and it's not Eric Gill, not a good dude. But you, ha yeah. you have to, you have to separate the art from the artist, uh, and you have to separate the I? artist. Yeah, and you sometimes you have to separate the artist from the dog. It's it's yeah, all yeah. 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 Alex, <laughs> listen, he dude loved fucking dogs. I know. Listen, like... that dog fucker could design a font. <laughs> all right, Trajan popped off as well. He did, like... Did Trajan have a font? Yeah, it's it's the like it's Eric Gill's tracings of the like lettering on Trajan's column. My tattoo is in it. Um, oh, I didn't know you had a tattoo. I didn't yeah, know yeah. that either. Yeah, I've uh, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll leave you to speculate. Meantime, yeah. uh, let's yeah, talk about you can the, see uh, all the numbers uh, refer to what the different districts of Berlin are named. So the, the dividing lines of the sectors weren't just drawn willy nilly. They didn't make them up. They just based them on the existing administrative subdivisions of Berlin, which had been established in 1920 for the most part. So you can see again the French do get a little bit, not quite as much as the other ones, but still a little bit. The it was, it's funny to give them vetting though, the the like reddest vetting. part of Berlin yeah. historically. But I think some of it in part is due to existing infrastructure questions. Because all these people, all these military occupation forces, they need garrisons, they need a place to stay. And there aren't that many garrison buildings in Berlin at the time. And uh, the the Americans down south, I think it's in number thirteen, what's called Tempelhof now is a place called Lichterfelders where they got their garrison. It was the garrison of the uh Leibstandarte Adolf Hitler SS, so the, one of the worst SS divisions of all time had their garrisons there. The Americans moved in there, which is very moving cool. straight in, like scooping all the stuff off the walls. Uh <laughs> we we got uh Gatov, I think. Yeah, and you were also at uh, Olympiastadion, so the Olympic uh, Village, that was, I think, where the, the headquarters of the British were for a while. But then they were also in Tiergarten, I think, closer to the center as well. But basically, so yeah, the Americans get this bigger garrison in the south, and the French in Wedding get uh, the garrison that was uh, the Luftwaffe. It was a Hermann Göring something something garrison there, so they got that. 
And, and yeah, we mentioned British. on when we did the like uh, Berlin airport episode with Ben, we talked about that this is why Berlin had so many fucking airports. Uh, yeah, basically because the, the airport uh, Tegel is in the French sector, basically. So they, they had to take care of that. And the Russians, of course, got their pick. They had a bit more space in the east. And they also got the center where the heaviest fighting had been. And also the interesting part, you can't see it in this map, but just, just west of the border between one and two, smack dab in the middle of the big part, the, the Tiergarten, there was a Soviet monument, which they built just like, as soon as they got there, they started on it. And it was in the Western sector. It was in the British sector. And so the British always had to uh, accommodate the Soviets coming in there to take care of their monument. For the oh, whole is this time. the big, is this Alyosha, the big like guy? With yeah, the, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I always find that very sort of in your face, you know, deal with it. We got there first. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think <laughs> once you've done the Battle of Berlin, you're kind of entitled. Yeah. Know? Yeah. You know, yeah. You, you have to, you have to let those guys in. You have to say, all right, yeah, come in, fix them out. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> and so, all and right. Basically, you and know, you guys did defeat fair Germany. Enough, fair <laughs> enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Right this way, sir. Yeah. And these garrison building is actually quite interesting. The American one is now uh, the main state archives. The Bundesarchiv in Berlin is uh, down there. And uh, the French garrison, which was previously the Luftwaffe garrison, is still now a garrison of the Bundeswehr. So there's a lot of tradition in Germany and not letting good buildings go to waste. Mm. They're still standing, you use them. You don't care what happened in them. Yeah, you know, I, the the building still works. I mean, that's, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. look at look at like Rome. There's still a couple, there's actually a Roman era, like a, a Roman Empire era office building that's still in use as an office <laughs> building to this day. <laughs> and like in Berlin, the, the finance ministry is in the building of the uh, air ministry that Göring built. Yeah, I mean, if, nice. if, you, if you didn't use a building... Uh, that merely because it had been the site of like a historical atrocity in Berlin, there would be no buildings that you could use. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll you get, get we'll get to, to the this in East, but in like the former East Berlin as well. Like, I mean, you do not have to hand it to the Nazis under any circumstances. But the buildings they did build most of the time in Berlin were quite modern, so like uh, you know, steel concrete construction. Yeah. So they withstood the war better than I'm most sort of older buildings. Fa fading in the sort of image of the bomber with the the holes in it, sort of correlation thing. It's like the, the ones <laughs> yeah. that the ones that weren't bombed to destruction were, were like very survivable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, what's it? Albert Speer was always like obsessed with like ruin value of buildings. Yeah. yeah. Like this yeah. building has to have a pretty ruin, uh, which is stupid. Uh, but also, more uh, criminals guess, off than are, Roz. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but it's also like, okay, well, building is still there. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we actually don't know the ruin value yet because we're still. Yeah, using we don't it. know because you know because we're still using it. Shit. <laughs> but so anyway, Berlin at this point is sort of like a complicated flat share. You have to deal with people <laughs> you don't like then and now. You know, <laughs> but, uh, but they're paying rent. You know, you need to hold it yeah. all together. Because Berlin is still, at this point, supposed to be the, the capital city of Germany. That's why everyone wants to have it. It's the largest city in Germany. So all the, the offices are, the few people left, you know, to run the country are there. Yeah, I mean, if, kinda, they, if, if there's some, like, Western it. allies, uh, you know, whatever Germany they make, it, it's a real humiliation yeah. if they have to, like, decamp to some fucking middle-of-nowhere village, like, I don't know, Bonn. Yeah. Know? Well, you know, I, I guess that's the other issue of um, Germany is, you know, you have a, you have a lot of cities that are about uh, the same size, um, I believe. Uh, uh, 
uh, esteemed podcasting colleague Matt Crispin called it a country of Milwaukee's. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's a bit like uh, Britain in that sense too, where it's like Berlin and then distant equal second every other city. Yeah, that's how I feel. I mean, about Philly, obviously every city is worse than we are. Yeah, uh, New yeah. York can eat shit. Uh, what other cities do I hate? <laughs> bon is so funny to me though. They fully just Why decided to do a kind of like. Uh, like mock Tudor Brasilia to be oh, like, oh, 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 I hate that. <laughs> but, uh, uh, bon, bon architecture is fucking is is wild because you have every possible style of the Federal Republic there, and it's it's all like this, they still run a bunch of stuff out of it, even because like again, you're never going to give up a good building. Um, but it's just kind of this this city that was like built very artificially as a kind of like toy town federal government center. I mean, it's well located. You know, it's close by Cologne. You can get there quick. Uh, yeah, good, good transit it, links huh? is the kind of thing that yeah. people who don't have anything else say about their city. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, a side note about Berlin: uh, it still hasn't uh, recovered its population. The highest population Berlin ever had was before the war, like shortly before, like 1940, something like that. And uh, even now, we're still yeah. behind. This stuff has like huge long legacies. I mean, I think often about how um, Ireland still has not recovered its population since like before the famine. Like uh, the yeah. the I Irish population like peaked before it, um, and you know is, is still like you know, several million short. Yeah, that's what it'll do to you. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, difficult flat share. Now I think we can move on to the next slide where we start to see some real difficulties. Very nice graphic. Thank you. I, I, I took several minutes to make this myself. I'm not entirely clear why I was sort of briefly possessed um, by the spirit of a former like SED uh, party official to do this. Um, yeah. So, so the problem with having a flat share is eventually it reaches a sort of crisis point when nobody's doing the fucking chore wheel. Um, and so, one of the big levers that uh, the Soviets always had. In, in the Cold War was seize West Berlin entirely. Uh, just, you know, roll the tanks over the inner border. Capture um, the flag, right. And yeah, exactly. It's ours now. Yeah. It, was, it was something that like Kennedy was worried about as like a sort of like-for-like -like thing about the Cuban Missile Crisis was there was a lot of uh, sort of like feeling in the Kennedy White House that if the US invaded Cuba, uh, the USSR and East Germany would like invade and seize West Berlin as like a like-for-like -like trade. Sure. Um, it's also like, what would they do about it? You know? Yeah, it's uh, nothing. Smack dab in the right. middle of the Soviet zone. You've got it's maybe like do, right? three, four divisions in there, and that's it, and you're fucked. The, the Berlin Brigade and all of that stuff is like, I, I, I saw a bunch of their stuff at the National Army Museum in London. It's, it's wild. It's fully just like, yeah, we're, like, like the guys who are actually in the like Army of the Rhine, their you know life expectancy in terms of you know if if a war starts with the Soviet Union is like a day. Um, and then in Berlin, it's like ten minutes. Um, <laughs> so that again. Oh, so like it genuinely, uh, it was like a token force that that existed to sort of like do uh, like skirmishes leading up to war, like operations oh, okay. other than war, like kind of like pointing tanks at each other. And had you know uh, the Soviets ever decided to like move westward, it would have been like you know not. Uh, militarily significant. Um, it's, it's like, okay, we gotta give the appearance of being mad at each other, at least. Yeah, and, and, and the British contingent accidentally invented the world's best urban tank camouflage pattern in the course of doing that. Um, yeah, so, that. <laughs> yeah so, so part of the reason why it's impossible to like reinforce West Berlin militarily is because there's like 
one or two road corridors to it, which are like you know like walled in by the Soviets. Uh, and Stalin, uh, embodying the sort of spirit of this second image I put here, uh, decided pretty much for shits and giggles to be like, yeah, I'm just going to close that. We're just going to starve everybody out and take it. Um, but they had a sort of like uh, agreement to have air corridors, and not for the first time, uh, one of the United States enemies underestimated its air force, um, and you had a bunch of transport planes flying in very, very logistically, impressively, to feed West Berlin for a period of months until right. Stalin gave up. Because the main worry was the winter, because the previous winter in uh, 46, 47, had been extremely hard. You had thousands of people dying just of freezing basically because there was nothing to heat yourself with no food nothing so the worry was if it's going to be the same kind of winter again mm. it's going to be tight but uh, they got lucky as the winter was quite mild mm. and then we sort of like uh everybody gets to create a germany so uh you get the <laughs> the bundesrepublic oh yes the the silver the, the, the world generator there we go y your own personal germany um yes. <laughs> So you get the, the Bundesrepublik Deutschland, which is like uh, yeah, the FRG, if you want to put it in English, the Federal Republic of Germany, West Germany, uh, which has, you know, uh, freedom, democracy, uh, often may not apply if you are being sort of like extrajudicially murdered in prison for being in the Baden-Meinhof gang, but like other than that. Well, you know, other it's than Coca-Cola. It's, it's, got, it's got Mercedes and it's, it's got, got bananas. Like, yeah, all of this shit. And then and then you have the DDR or the GDR, the German Democratic Republic, the Dutch Dance Revolution. Republic, the Dance Dance yeah. Revolution, uh, which does not have Coca-Cola and does not have Mercedes. But the hat yes. oh, no. Pepsi, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it actually only has Mountain Dew Code Red Diet. Well, 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 no, because Pepsi had an agreement with the yes. Soviet Union. I know! <laughs> <laughs> it, it, has, it has Pepsis and Trabants. Uh, and, ooh, uh, ooh, Trabants. I've always kind of wanted a Trabant. They are those miserable little cars. That'd, that'd, yeah, that'd, be, and, that'd be fun. That, that sounds like a slow, fast car, you know? Yeah, and it has all of the stuff that I put on the background of this slide here. It, it, it's yeah. got like it's got Goldbrand, it's got Plattenbau, Plattenboy, it's got Sigmund Jain, uh, it's got the yeah. the FDOT, it's got like uh, all all of the fun stuff that we know and love about a communist regime, right? Um, and yeah, yeah, they sent this guy to space. Um, yeah, first German in space. Mm -hmm. I just noticed this kid here is doing a proto. John Fetterman, because they hadn't invented hoodies yet, but he's got the shorts with the heavy jacket. Yeah. Oh, I. I why did you find this photo of me? <laughs> but so, but so the DDR. We'll think about it in its totality later on. But we got to talk about like the sort of initial years of it, which you know, it's strange because a bunch of former, like a bunch of German communists, came to the USSR having survived Stalin and like Hotel Lux and stuff. Came back with the intention of like communistifying and like denazifying. I mean, in some cases, you have to say came to the USSR in quotes and then came yes. back to Germany in even heavier quotes. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're sent back, we're yeah. gently encouraged to so, come back and contribute. Yeah. So, um, it, it, in order to sort of like restructure the country as, as uh, like a Soviet style uh, like regime. Um, 
with, with like some degree of optimism sometimes. Like uh, there, there was a point at which like the the party was going to be like a sort of a hidden hand in all of this, and like there was going to be like more of a sort of pretense of a democracy and stuff. Um, and it, yeah, it didn't work really well. I mean, the GDR generally goes between periods of optimism and pessimism, and definitely the period, like the, the very first years from like 49 to 53, is actually okay because you're rebuilding, everyone's contributing, you know, you've got ruins to start with, so it can only get better anyway. And it's, it's actually quite nice in some aspects. And then, you know, 53, unrest, protest put down violently, and then the war, 61, ugh. And then in the 70s, detente, you know, Ostpolitik, West Germans give you money to be nicer <laughs> and then in the 80s again everything's terrible nothing's ever going to end so it, yeah. it always kind of goes up and down i think i think the 53 stuff is important too because it was like uh, sort of a pre prefiguring a lot of stuff with like czechoslovakia and hungary right where it's like yeah. uh okay well the warsaw pact what does that mean does it mean everybody's going to be like uh, a sort of like um uh like a client state of the Soviet Union, or is there some kind of like flexibility in how we're allowed to like implement communism? And the answer is absolutely not. No, no, absolutely not. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Thanks for going in. Uh, yeah, uh, Imre Nagy, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, and so once it was kind of established that those were the rules that like you know the group of Soviet forces in Germany were staying in Germany um, uh, and sort of like revving their tank engines permanently. Um, and dissent was not to be tolerated, and you know there was going to be a secret police and all of this. Um, then it, it turns out all of those things are, and I, I say this in a sort of aggrieved way as a communist, quite bad for the economy. <laughs> <laughs> sure. It's like, uh, oh no, the line. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but the but the line really do matter though. When what's happening is. Every, people are just going, yeah, fuck this shit. I'm going to the West. You, you know, uh, sure. like like the sun in the joke from um, uh, the lives of others. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, communism never really existed on its own terms. It always was in the context of global capitalist hegemony. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is the the capitalist's worst trick: is making you exist in a context. Yeah, hate hate to hate what I exist in the context. I hate fucking context. Uh, <laughs> you know, if if we just had global communism, we could get rid of the woke bullshit. You wouldn't need it. You wouldn't need it anymore. Yeah, <laughs> it would wither away. Um, yeah, so so it, people just leave, and and like not just Germans, not just East Germans too. Like uh, while the border is open, and in in these brief periods, you see like people from what you see Czechoslovaks and stuff trying to like get out, just trying to bounce West through. Yeah. Yeah, you just bounce. You go, you go, drink your Coca Cola, and you buy your Mercedes—a thing mm. which you will certainly be able to do with your sort of like rewarding life in the West. Because at this sure. point, the borders are still relatively open. I mean, they're not wide open. You can't just go, but you can still go if you make the effort. And so, between forty-nine and sixty-one, there's around one point six million people that leave the GDR. And you have to remember that wow. at this point, they only have eighteen million total. So it's like ten percent of the population just goes away. Which is bad, and it's mostly young, educated people from the cities, so it's even more of a problem. <laughs> and so yeah. they really, I mean, you, you know, they had to do something about it. The question is just, what do you do? Either you change what you're doing, 
or you try to keep everyone from leaving yeah. forever. And and you can't like try and make things a bit less repressive because if you do, uh, Papa Stalin and then Khrushchev by this point yeah. will be like very very upset with you. Right. That's sort of the argument that goes like the wall sort of happens because of Fifty Three to some extent, at least in the self justification of the GDR. Because uh, in Fifty Three, these unrests, they are, the, the starting point is the. The working norm, so that the work you're expected to do in a day in in the factory is upped from one day to the next by ten percent. So you suddenly have to work ten percent more. That's just how it this is. I should form a union. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, they should. Yeah. So so people are unhappy about that. Go to the street. The tanks come. It comes down. But what the regime says about it is that this was all started by infiltrators from West Germany. See, this they is smuggled a in Nazis and agitators and everything. This is a perk of being of being forced to live in a context. Is you can kind of put anything on the context. Exactly. Right. Can, yeah. You can be like, listen, I the the reason why the line is bad, that's capitalism, and sometimes yes. that's even true. <laughs> you, you'd be like, the reason why I just stub my toe, capitalism. Uh, and Fair enough. Let, yeah. Let me tell you what. It's it's fun, easy, and rewarding. And in this case, it's even easier because you can say, well, West Germany, you know, what's over there? It's all Nazis. You know, they all went there after the war. They're all still there. They're still in power. They're still doing Nazi shit. And we don't want that here, so we got to keep them outside. It's, it's it's not as if I mean the DDR wasn't about rehabilitating Nazis quietly, but uh, I mean like it's where they got a, like a large portion of their first police from and stuff. But like. The, yeah, I'm West shocked Germany. personally. Yeah, because it's like where, where else are you going to find people? You know, in in po immediately post Nazi that Germany, nice, that nice yeah. black leather uniform you just to be to cops and like work cops closet. already. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, exactly. Well, now, you, now you're cops for communism, which is good. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, we've changed. We've changed the hats to buy, red. I don't know that I buy that. Strange. It's almost <laughs> as if people don't believe that a former Nazi could be a socialist revolutionary. <laughs> so, well, so you know, people, people, people change. Um, you know, it's it's especially when uh, their in uh, the, their source of their income changes. I mean, this is this is sort of like politically embarrassing for the GDR, which is why it never really like did formal open denazification in the way that West Germany did. And West Germans there were no Nazis. They're all yeah. dead. West Germans love to suck themselves off about how good this is, what and that's why you know why the East is like uh, increasingly fascist now is because like you know we bravely reckoned with the legacy of fascism, and it's like mm. well you bravely reckoned with the legacy of it by you know declaring them you weren't Nazis anymore, and then you know everyone feels good about it, and we don't ask why everybody has this like blood group tattoo under their armpit or whatever. Yeah, yeah but yeah. like. Yeah, but I think no. in East Germany, it was like, to be at the top, like you couldn't be a Nazi, that would just look bad, and you didn't want to make the fellows look bad. But like, middle management, basically... That Nazis was just, that were built for middle management. Well, exactly, yeah, I mean, if the, it's full of like bureaucrats who like went along, um, and continued to do that. Thank you, Tiny Eichmann. I mean, in a sense, also, you know what, what are you going to do? Because if you wanted to run the country, you needed people to run the country, and there weren't that many people left. So from a very sort of pragmatic standpoint, in the sense of, okay, we don't know if a war's going to start again in two years or not, you better get to it. You know, they just sort of decided, okay, it's worth, uh, it's worth not looking too closely. Should, should also say that immediately following the war, the Soviets, uh, like, aside from the fact that East Germany was in ruins, all of Germany was in ruins, uh, the Soviets also took 
everything. <laughs> um, so all of the heavy industry, uh, all of the like manufacturing capacity that went east, uh, and it, like there are factories in Russia today that are still built out of like uh, old Nazi shit that they've like repossessed as war reparations. It was even small stuff. Like I've, I've seen some documents from from weddings in the French sector, where the, the mayor of the sector gets a complaint from a person running an, an auto repair shop. That one day, uh, two Russians rolled up in a jeep, took out a transmission from a car, left him a note in Russian, which he couldn't read, and then just left. So he complains to the mayor, and the mayor has to complain to the French in French, naturally, of course, has to have the Russian note be translated into German, then in French. And it's just some some Russian girl saying, "Yeah, we took the thing. Sorry, deal with it." <laughs> and it's just like, "What are you gonna do about it?" <laughs> it might it might have been oh, yeah. like ultimately self sabotaging to the the project of building a sort of a communist state in East Germany, but it is very funny, and I don't feel bad about it. Yeah, I think your your graphic is actually quite accurate. Also, during the air blockade, like the, the excuses the Russians or the Soviets gave as to why you couldn't drive into Berlin was basically just, "Yeah, the roads." we had the road for two minutes we immediately made it russian sorry yeah it was uh it was uh that has some potholes you know it, uh, you know how it is you know how it is, you know how it is. <laughs> yeah and they actually it almost came to war because then they they were yak fighters like they flew close to the uh the american bombers for repurposed bombers to try to make them deviate from their landing uh approach Stuff like that. At one time, like when the Americans got a uh, fighter escort for the bombers, and they, they shot a uh, Soviet airplane down at some point. Yeah, so I mean, lots, lots of stuff in the Cold War where you have to like pretend that that didn't just happen. Otherwise, yeah. it's sort of like an unthinkable escalation. Um, speaking of unthinkable escalations, go on. Go to the, the next slide. Now, now we're on. We're one hour in, and we're on slide six of thirty-four. Oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> baby. Okay, fewer tangents. Just, just, just go straight over me. I was about to forcibly move this podcast yeah, forward. Yeah. Thanks for nothing, Alice. <laughs> but so yeah, in '61, <laughs> these tensions come to a head when the East Germans, together with Soviets, of course, always have to approve everything. Uh, prepare a nice little surprise for everyone. But in the night, they start at like 1 a.m. by uh, putting up barbed wire pretty much all along the border and having these dudes in uniforms yeah, look at stand these there. Dudes. What fine specimen of fighting men these are. These say. are from the uh, Betriebskampfgruppen, which is a beautiful oh, word. And uh, it's basically workers' militia. Like oh, in this, every... this turned into the like uh, Kampfgruppen and Arbeiterklasse or whatever, exactly. right? Exactly. Oh, fucking like, what, bro? The the uh, the fighting groups of the working class. Uh, basically, mm. like your 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 mm. office or your factory had a section that, like, in the event of shit popping off, was meant to operate as an infantry platoon. It was fucking so, stupid. They formalized the idea. I work with kind of like the IDF a little bit. They they formalized the idea of uh, everything grows cops on it. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> these, these, these were troops, not cops. Although they there were a lot of volunteer cops and sort of like uh, I bet there were. I mean, it, well, the Soviets really went heavily on this. There was a, a thing called a like a, it was a, a, a druzhinik, like someone who like voluntarily assists by doing like neighborhood patrol and stuff, assists the militia. So yeah, there's a, there's, there, there are East German equivalents of that too. Uh, that like happens later too, along the border. Inside. You have the regular border forces, but also helped by volunteers who wore no uniforms, just had a green armband. And if you mm. didn't notice that <laughs> quickly enough, then you were probably fucked. 
if you want a license to beat people up, sure, come to the come to the office and we'll give you one. <laughs> yeah, people like Britain did not invent everyone in the country becoming a cop. It's uh... <laughs> proudly German, much like the royal family. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, if you want an excuse to wear a uniform to work, this is your country, you know? I mean, you know, copy, it, it, it's like the German model of officialdom mixed with the Soviet model of officialdom. It's perfect. And therefore, you know, the sewage inspector has a dress uniform and a saber. Nice. I've I've seen seen you can see their uniforms weren't quite so nice. It's all looking a bit baggy, a bit unkempt, you have to say. Uh, yeah. Also, it was probably early in the day and they were woken up at night. So, you know, we let them pass. But uh, basically, it was these guys and regular police and the army, the NVR, the National Folks Army, was further in the back, like just in case shit got real. They were also on hand. But as you can see, these guys just forming sort of a human wall, just right at the border while they're setting things up. And uh, the, the West in general was taken by surprise. I mean, there's some speculation that they'd been warned before, and at least the US, like at the presidential level by the USSR. That's never been proven as far as I know. And uh, since this all happens in the night, you know, people are being woken up with vague messages of something's happening in Berlin. And most people just say, okay, and go back to sleep. So uh, the guy from, from the Berlin section at the State Department goes just that, gets, gets the first message at midnight, goes, okay, well, whatever, goes back to sleep. He's woken up again four hours later by a CIA message with a code word in oh. him informing him that he must tell the president now. And then they frantically search for the folder with the plans for such an event. And they have a folder which is, which is labeled border closure, but uh, the folder is empty. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, what do we do? Ah, oh, fuck. Okay. So basically nothing in the end is what they do. They do fuck all. They just wait it out. At first, you know, it looks like a big troops build up. Oh, shit, maybe something goes down. But they just go up to the border and no further. So it's all okay. And uh, in the first few days, you just have barbed wire. But then in the next few days, you can see what's here on the right. These more a sort really of shitty, really shitty wall. bricks. Yeah, I was about exactly. to say some uh, not very good cinder blocks here. You probably you, you could probably take this out with a good punch, you know? Mm. Probably. But oh, then how you'd cool get would it shot. be to like punch through the Berlin Wall, though? Yeah, you're one punch man. You go through the Berlin Wall. <laughs> we'll come back to the concept of punching through the Berlin Wall later. <laughs> and so in these these pictures here, they're fairly standardized. I mean, you can see it's the same type of cinder blocks and other places they use just like whatever was on hand or a lot of just existing masonry. It's just sort of mustered up to become suddenly the border. And uh, at this point, the wall is still quite porous. You can still go through in a lot of places. And a lot of people do escape during these first few days. But basically, that's how it starts with a really, really shitty wall and uh, lots of dudes with PPSH-41s. I, I enjoyed before they like um where, where the parts of the border were buildings before they figured out that they needed to either demolish those or block up all of the windows and stuff. People just left by like climbing out of the building, like just, Assassin's Creed, yeah. just like descending down the just, side. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like yeah, you you know a place well enough. You know you're kind of like you yeah, there's out, obvious right. security holes here, here, right, here, and right, here. Right. Yeah, it reminds it, it, you, of, it's like Washington Union Station. You can bypass the M-Track queue if you just go to the VRE platforms. Um, <laughs> a little life hack, though. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you have scenes of like people lowering babies through windows on, on bed sheets and stuff like that. So it's, uh, it's a little bit hectic. 
at that point. If we go to the next slide, we can see the two beautiful two, people two responsible beautiful for men. the whole thing. Two handsome yes. young... Who the fuck are these twinks? Um, <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. man. I, I really love the, like, uh, sort of 60s communist style of, like, airbrushed portraits. Um, where where you sort of like believe that Urukonika had no paws? Yeah, I don't. Maybe he just ate really well. Maybe he just looked that way. Yeah. yeah, he was on that yeah, retinol. He had some kind of oxidol. Some kind of insane German diet. Um, <laughs> you want you want to talk about a, a distinct barrier? You have fence. one like between your forehead and like the. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> listen! It's 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 happening to me too. I'm allowed to laugh at it. <laughs> so anyway, the guy on the left is uh, Walter Honecker, who's the big boss at the time. And interestingly enough, uh, at the 15th of June, the same year, so like two months before, at a press conference, uh, a journalist from West Berlin asked a question about, you know, is anything going to change from the border or whatever? And he said the famous quote: "Niemand hat die Absicht, eine Mauer zu errichten," which means nobody has the intention of building a wall. As like a sort of like, uh, what a ridiculous hypothetical. Yeah, yeah like, who, who could think of that? I was going to put a fucking wall up. Like, come on. But, uh, but at this point, he most certainly already knew it was going to happen. So it was kind of a Freudian slip, you yeah. could say. And uh, the guy on the right is uh, Ulrich Honecker, which I always found... Good Morgan Liebesonne. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Somehow looks... Uh, I mean, from the two, I think Honecker is the one who looks nicer, to some extent. Like, he just kind of looks like a small dude. You know, he was quite small as well. Mm. And, and yeah, it, was, always... it was his wife who was the real sort of, like, tyrant. Yeah. He was he was kind of the, uh, like, sort of grey middle manager of socialism. Yeah, but that's also the thing, like, we talked earlier about, you know, the Nazis that were taken over, but these people, you know, they're all communist fighters like Honecker mm -hmm. spent the whole war in Nazi prison, basically, wow. and escaped and stuff and everything. And and Honecker, I, I don't remember exactly what he did, but it's the same kind of story. So these people, you know, they were true communists, as true a communist as you could be, you might think. But then they went on to fuck it all up. So it's always really a bit puzzling. Yeah, we're handed yeah, a, uh, like a world historical uh, opportunity. And you know what happened? The context got them. Oh, no, no, yeah, exactly. It's, it's the context. Fuck. Shit. <laughs> so, anyway, at this point, Honecker isn't uh, the, the first secretary yet. He's going to become that in 71. But at this point, he's the secretary for security issues at the Central Committee. So, he's the one who has to come up with all the planning, uh, the operational planning for building the wall. So, he's uh, the architect of it, if you will. And he's the one who gave the order to build it. And he's also the one who gave the order to shoot people trying to cross it. Which is going to be schießbefehl. Not if you change the order of the letters, it becomes funny a word, but you shouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, the order to shit, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. which is considered one of the worst things uh, to ever have happened in relation to the whole thing, because obviously that's how most of the people who died at the war were killed. And he was prosecuted for it after 1990, but uh, they let it go because he was dying of cancer. Yeah, it's, it's so strange how much the whole the whole of the DDR is like bound up in this one guy's lifetime. That's yeah, wild. like yeah. it was his wall. He was he was general secretary for like damn near the whole thing, um, and then you know he he you know gets out, country is reunified, and he fucking dies. Like it really, sure. it's it's like a Greek tragedy. It's a German tragedy. And he refused to take responsibility for it. Like, there's an interview when he's hiding out in Moscow shortly after 1990, and, you know, the, the journalist asks him tough questions, but he just evades, evades, evades. Even though at this point, you'd think he wouldn't have that much to lose anyway, but 
just refuse to take a position on the thing at all. Just says, mm. you know, nation states have a right to decide what they do with their borders, blah, blah, blah. That's a familiar line, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so this guy right sort now. of got his start <laughs> in government being, you know, a big boy by building the wall. And that's probably what got him in the end the first secretary post because he had shown that he was, you know, willing to do what it takes. Mm. Sure. So then we can go to the next slide. And this is one of the most famous pictures. It's uh, a watchman, a border guard jumping over the wire. Looking a little bit cunty too. Like, yeah. He's serving. He's serving. Yeah, he's serving. Yeah. I mean, it's basically a Wehrmacht uniform, you know. Of oh, course. Well, so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> No, I feel bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, like the this helmet, the M56, that was originally a Nazi design, but Hitler vetoed it because he thought it looked gay. Uh, and then, <laughs> the, the, yeah, so they just had like stocks of like millions of these fucking helmets. Um, and so the East Germans just used them until the eighties, like all the way through, because they just well, had them on did. hand. Yeah, uh, it does look a bit silly. Yeah, sort of so anyway, mushroomish. This, this or, guy you know, is uh, is Konrad Schumann. And uh, he was, why we have such good pictures of it is because on the other side were a few uh, West Berlin journalists and they sort of saw him working his nerve up to it. And so that's why we also a, a van of the West Berlin police was waiting there with doors open so he could just <laughs> so get in and he's get like, away. Oh, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to yeah, do it. Yeah, no, but so you know, walking up, you know, sort of filling with wire with his boot, <laughs> then walking back and then walking back up and then he just jumped. And the photographer like, was waiting there for the moment and just uh, snapped the shot. It was also F8 a, and be there, you know. But it's yeah. it's it's so cool to like imagine the the West Germans there, like I'm not the fuck is gonna jump. He's gonna like just watching Str this guy. Stronger man than I. I, I. I would not go anywhere near any concertina wire. That stuff gives nope, me the heebie-jeebies. Nope. Yep, I mean, he's same. got like the really <laughs> thick boots on, you know, the, like, oh, the, yeah. the, the Marschstiefel. You know, he's fine. Um, I would still be like, nah, I'm not going near that shit. So <laughs> how, how confident are you in your sort of like high jump ability? Not very. Yeah. Not very bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sort of like rolling through the, like forward rolling through the barbed wire, dying of blood loss on the way to the hospital, you know? Yeah. And uh, interestingly, that man then went on to live in Bavaria till the end of his days because he didn't feel, even Burst. after reunification, he didn't want to go back to Saxony where he originally came from for fear of reprisals mm. from uh, people from the Stasi. And he actually committed suicide in the end, but uh, Wikipedia doesn't say why. Wow. Mm. But anyway, or, as you can or, see or from... Or did he, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Did, did the Stasi finally get him? You never know. <laughs> <laughs> but as you can see from the list on the right, like he isn't the only one who made it over in the first days as a, a guards person. Like these are all guards, border guards. And it's, uh, it's kind of interesting to see how they all did it. So like... All uh, very low ranking. You got you got a... Yeah, yeah, like, they're all... Unterwachmeister and Unter and and then one lieutenant. Yeah, basically, like I think it was mostly like the, the lower uh, ranks were less likely to be ideologically committed and maybe had more to gain from just leaving. Mm. Like the others crawled under the wire, which I think is worse than than jumping over it. <laughs> if you're afraid yeah. of the less wire. less elan, less panache, you know. Yeah, one of them. Uh, it says. Uh, he, he pretended to go get something to eat <laughs> and just <laughs> left. <laughs> it's just like, I'll be right back, I promise. I have to go get some chocolate. <laughs> uh, uh, away from here, it's fancy, exotic. She goes to another school. You guys have never met her. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. This guy's so I have to go, I have to go go visit my girlfriend in Canada. Yeah. He- Helmut Oschmann. <laughs> uh, Oschmann. Like whistling away as you, as you jump the border. No, uh, Helmut Oschmann, which is number three in the list, he always found an excuse to be a hundred meters ahead of the others. <laughs> he could then go, go over unnoticed. I mean, he was noticed, but uh, without being stopped. And they also note, like, did they have a weapon with them and how many rounds of ammunition did we have with them? So apparently that was sort of a concern. But these are just a few of the people who made it over during the first construction phase. And obviously as well, many civilians, like I said, because there was still a lot of lot of options if you wanted to go away. But next slide, please. The wall quickly solidifies. As you and can say here, you can sort of see the second version, which starts to railway ties. I was going to say the same what? thing. They look like they're not they're not concrete railway ties, but they they certainly have the same proportions. Mm. Yeah, I think what we used most of the time was sort of like agricultural building materials because uh, they were likely to have a lot yeah. of these. And so this is sort of a, the second wall version from '65 onwards. So it's a bit more solid, but it's still. Not quite, you know, what you associate when you think of uh, the Berlin Wall. And uh, what I find interesting is you can see this is taken from the western side because there's this uh, sign that says uh, Straßensperrung verursacht durch die Schandmauer. Schandmauer is the wall of shame. So it's very much, you know, like the East German population, or East Berlin population rather, didn't protest too much or a few protests, but not that many probably because most of them still remembered 53 and didn't want to uh, make too much a big deal out of it. it also, also still be- easier to leave than protest, you have to imagine, yeah. like, at this point. Yeah. And also, it's supposed that for a lot of people, it was like, hey, whatever, we got other problems. Like, the, the economic crisis was quite real. Like, in the wider GDR, certainly, they didn't especially care, I would think, what happens in Berlin, because Berlin was Berlin, and you had your own problems. But uh, for the West Berliners... A, d- a dynamic you can mm. still see replicated in every German electoral map. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. But like for the West Berliners, it was very much a big deal, because suddenly you were really in a, might we want to say, open-air prison, mm. but uh, mm. really on very tight space, and it was very hard for them to get out, because you were cut away from greater Western Germany, basically. So they, they were very much not happy about it. And so that's why you have these signs here that are just sort of gratuitous. I mean, you don't have to tell anyone that this is the wall and that the street is blocked because you can see that. But uh, they made a sign for it anyway. And on the next slide, you can sort of see how that looks, like on the left, uh, generally wow. from the street. You can see on the side these buildings with the white windows. That's because these are walled up. So oh, the, the buildings become they finally the wall. got wise to people like just climbing out of the window, Assassin's yeah. Creed style. Exactly. And in the tumbling, back... Tumbling to freedom. <laughs> yeah, we put all these haystacks on the West Berlin side. I'm and a in... little bit confused because it, it... Okay, so is this building on the east, uh, on, on the on the communist side? No, this is facing west. So west is, is down. Facing west. So they had, to ev- they had to evict people who were Westerners yeah. to do this. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. I mean... <laughs> I guess evicting people people is bad in general. Are you being a NIMBY for the Berlin Wall? (laughs) Yeah, I am a NIMBY for the Berlin Wall. I'm like, where do these people go? How do they? How do? How do you justify evicting these people? Very relocated. What's the legal process here? (laughs) Uh, Get the fuck out! Here's a gun. Yeah, it's real. Like might makes right now. Yeah. And anyway, in, in, in East Germany, you did not, like, there was no free housing market. You got a place allocated to you by the government anyway. So they just allocated these people and you. Yeah. 
kind of swings and roundabouts. On the one hand, you get a place allocated to you by the government. On the other, you get a place allocated to exactly. you by the government. Well, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> But also in the back, like towards like upper middle of the picture, you can see this metal fence. That's uh, the first stage in this case of what's called the hinterland, which is the hinterland. I mean, that's a word in English as well. That's the wall on the east side. And it's actually like, for instance, the, the east side gallery, which we're going to see later on, one of the largest pieces of the wall that's left. That's not the western facing wall, that's the east facing wall. And it's arguably, to some extent, also the more important part of the wall because it's the one that was the first really barrier to people getting out. Because on, on on the west side, you could get up close to the actual wall, but on the east side, you could not. And they've, they've blocked off uh, an underground station here. Exactly. We'll also get to that later. Uh, yeah, yeah, you got That was a, an issue. Right there, yeah. And on the right side, you can see a bit more substantial state of affairs. You have sort of a, an anti-vehicle, an anti-tank ditch, anti-tank ditch right no, no, smack in the middle of the street. Which is a nice vibe. It's I the think. thing is, it's not a very good anti-tank ditch, and there's a, there's a, a a point to be made about this, which is that you don't really want that good of one, because practically in Berlin, the only direction the tanks are going to be moving is westward. Yeah, sure. yeah. But I think the problem with a lot of these pictures is that they're in black and white, which makes Berlin seem even more miserable than it actually is. <laughs> yeah, like... this is in color. It was just shot in December, like. <laughs> <laughs> But like all these pictures of a wall usually look really especially drab and especially miserable. That's just what Berlin looks like in black and white. So you've got to deal with it. So next slide. And you can see another sort of further uh, stadium of the wall. It's not quite the finished, the one we all know and love. It's more of an intermediary step, but you can sort of see the, the, the round part on top. They came up with that to keep people from climbing over it. They can't get a good grip. And these walls, you see they're still stacked elements between sort of vertical, I don't know, I-beams probably, something like that. And uh, so it gets uh, it gets bigger and bigger. And in the photo on the right, you can also see in the background, in the middle ground, you can see the anti-tank, uh, the Czech hedgehogs to uh, keep the tanks from rolling through. So that's I, I'm right. too distracted by by the woman in the dress there because once again, I'm, I'm hammering the big button that says every photo of an East German woman. <laughs> it's distinct yet unmistakable transgender vibes. Um, actually, this is, this is in the West too. This is looking East because there's the, yeah, yeah. the phones to him. um but um yeah i it's still looking quite improvised at this stage even with a like custom anti-climby sort of uh circular bit yeah, yeah this is 71 so this is 10 years post-construction so you got all these nice uh what do they call platen bow back here you got mm. the big tower you got all this stuff right here uh you know I, bright, bright lights big city yeah uh, yeah. yeah exactly yeah yeah it doesn't look too bad over there <laughs> <laughs> but you, you you can't see it because of the wall. This yeah, is the that's thing. a good point. That's you got to you got to build the point. um and and this was its formal name, the anti-fascist protective measure. Um, in yes. order to prevent the fascists from looking in and seeing the fact that you have like cool platen boy and like it's, yeah, exactly. This is the don't part of the process of bow, Alice. Don't don't I? Bauten. Fuck. Okay. Yeah. Just just cut all the bits where I fucked up German in this, <laughs> yeah, which yeah. is every time I've tried to speak German. It's easy to fuck up. Still better than I do it, I can tell you that right now. You can't let the fascists look at your shining city on the hill, is all I'm saying. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I love I love how slow the pace of construction is in terms of like upgrades. So it's like very slowly building a wall around you, sort of thing. Like very... I mean it is a lot of wall in mm. the end. And it's in a very dense urban environment. 
And like, if you want to make it better, you have to take the time to tear down buildings, relocate people, etc., etc. So, you know, and you're a country who has a very dysfunctional economy. You don't have any money all the time. And uh, so, yeah, we took the time with it. There had to be like a bunch of teenagers who just like snuck past the wall every night. No one ever noticed them. (laughs) I don't (laughs) think so. Not even to, not even to like, uh, not even to like escape to the West, but just, I don't know, to go, go get cheaper beer or something. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we'll, we'll see it in a further slide, but I think it's always a problem with these pictures. And again, most of these pictures are taken from the Western side because on the Eastern side was forbidden to take pictures of the wall, obviously. And so you always see the western side of it. And when it's at street level, you rarely get a good sense of the actual scale of like the, the no man's land, which is the part where you get killed if you try to get over. Mm. So so I don't think actually many people manage to sneak across. Like, yeah, I almost put in surprised. a slide about like escape attempts. Uh, the most notable one is trying to tunnel under it, but that was something that like... It, was that yeah, frequent like, or just like... No, they had a few attempts, some of which were like backed by British and American intelligence oh, services. And yeah, they were sort of, it sort of worked, but like right. it was a real cat and mouse thing with the Stasi and the, and the Grenzpolit side. In so. my opinion, the most spectacular attempt is uh, at Leipziger Straße on the eastern side. They built quite high, like high rise towers with like 80 meters tall, something like that. And uh, two guys got the, frankly, quite brilliant idea to paraglide Hell over yeah. to the west because it's uh, like 100 meters. Time. It's very close. Yeah. And so they built their own paragliders, schlepped them up to the top of the tower. I don't know how nobody noticed because it's a bit curious, uh, a curious thing I to mean, do. I, I ask the IDF, you know, how do you, <laughs> yeah, miss, a, yeah. how do you miss a paraglider? How, how do you miss that? Well, you know, it turns out they should have restricted lawnmowers from entry into uh, Gaza. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in this case, the flight could be unpowered because, again, it was a very short distance. And so they all set up to do it like at night, I think. And the first guy goes, take a running start, you know, and almost makes it. But his foot trips on sort of uh, the corner of the tower. There's a small ledge there. So he doesn't die. He falls down, but he doesn't fly across. So he just lands into the courtyard of a nearby kindergarten. And his buddy's like, fuck. And he doesn't want to leave his buddy behind nicely enough. So he goes down, gets him, and they leave. And they get arrested the next day at the border of Czechoslovakia because, of course, the Stasi found them. They both get thrown in prison for like five years. I think one of them is let out and is allowed to move to West Germany. The other one is bought by West Germany, which is a thing that happened all the time. And I think that's a pretty cool story. Paragliding right. into the West. That's, that's uh, really interesting. As, as as I understand it, the sort of the smarter option than trying to cross the wall for like if you were athletic enough was to go north to the Baltic and try and outswim the Coast Guard. Uh, which yeah. there's a few a few stories in Anafunda's Stasi land about. But that's also a rather risky proposition, I think, because they mm. were watching the coast. Like that was one of the most. Oh, yeah, you just get like there. shot in the water still or drown, yeah. but um, uh, get eaten by a shark. Yeah, die of or hypothermia. Hypothermia. Yeah, that's the other uh, one. It's a real sort of like it's a summer activity, and even then, summer in the Baltic is still fucking cold. Yeah, you get eaten by a cold shark. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, next slide. Here we have finally the final state of the war, which is known uh, in German as the, the Grenzmauer 75 because it's a model of seventy-five. It's evil, but it's very aesthetic. Exactly, and these yeah. well-known vertical elements, which you can see on the right with the round top. They also have a beautiful name. They are called Stützwand Element UL 12.41. Oh, 
Of course. Yeah, they, went through, cool. they went through like 40, uh, 40 other iterations of them. Exactly. Yeah. And it was made, of course, in the VEB Baustoffkombinat Neubrandenburg, uh, which is the, the state-owned uh, company for construction materials in Neubrandenburg. I, lo I love a VEB because they turned fucking everything into them. Like they, 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 Everything, yeah. They, they went to um, Ruler, uh, which like had a watch industry, and was just like, yeah, everything is now in a VEB. You are now one big state enterprise that makes all of the watches for sale in East Germany. Congratulations! <laughs> Yeah. That's the thing. You had individual VEBs. VEB is uh, Volkseigener Betrieb, so it's a people's own company. And when you take many VEBs and make them into a big VEB, you call that a combinat, because then they're all combined. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's always a cute word, combinat. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, you can see here on, on the left, you have that's, that's the full program, basically. You have uh, the lights, you have the anti tank obstacles, you have a clear field of fire all up to the wall. There's towers as well, as you see here, like interspersed with yeah. very bored conscripts in them. Because you could get conscripted into the border guard. Yeah. Yeah, I like the I like the um the street lights just like or look like ordinary street lights. They are. Mm -hmm. They are. It's the same lights you would have on the like highways and stuff. Because again, why would you make a separate kind of light for the wall when you've got a perfectly functioning street light? Yeah. yeah. That 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 so, makes a lot of sense. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And these yeah, wall well, elements were, were also used. They, they could have used La Sombrita, but they just <laughs> yeah. used... Finally, I used just, for it! <laughs> <laughs> they just used the normal they thing. They told me this was stupid! Because <laughs> I hauled 900 <laughs> of these to Berlin. <laughs> and the concrete wall elements were also used for agricultural purposes, like to build, like, uh, what's it called? The house for the cows? Um, barn. A barn. barn, yes. <laughs> uh, hey, I don't know the German word for it either, so... Kuhstall. Kuhstall. Kuhstall, yeah. And also what's interesting is on the, the right picture you can see this beautiful sign which uh, tells you that this is the end of the American sector and that the next part of Berlin is East Berlin. And interestingly you also have it in Turkish which oh, leads wow. me to believe that this is in Neukölln which is a district of Berlin in the southeast which was on the western side and which has a very large uh, Turkish population starting in the 70s because there were, you know, guest workers and so there was apparently a need to have the sign in turkish as well huh. yeah. it's a cool graffiti yeah. so next slide please yeah this is this is a, a problem with me putting in images that i find on on google images is that much like my ability to speak german it's not as good as i think it is um I, so, <laughs> so I, was just, I was just looking for a quick diagram to like you know show the sort of like general layout here and this is i'm informed wrong it's not entirely wrong, just some of the bits of it are wrong, some of the details, the numbers especially, the general sort of order of the wall is clear, but we're going to have a, a 3D visualization coming up on the next slide. But here there are some numbers, like for instance, 239 escape is killed, is not correct. Like the actual current estimate from people who died at the wall is 140, and uh, like 101 of those were shot trying to escape, or like had an accident while escaping or something like that. Uh, 30 yeah, did, of did them. The sort of forward roll thing into the barbed wire, like me. Yeah, so it's suspect, but whatever. 30 people were killed at the war, but actually did not want to leave. Like, apparently that happened. <laughs> so, if, you know, you just wanted just to have a look. Someone's been on the, like, Goldbrand too much and, like, had, <laughs> yeah. you know, sort of wanders into the death strip. Uh, oh, that guy was a uh, trespass at the 9 11 memorial and just, like, fell in the pool or went in the pool. <laughs> 
What? I like heard that. there was a nice uh, Irish pub in West Berlin. I wanted to go there. <laughs> and there was one Soviet soldier who was shot or died in an accident. Apparently, it's unclear. And then eight GDR border guards were killed in the line of duty by either people escaping or other East German border guards who thought were escaping or uh, people from the Western side, such as police officers who sometimes shot back. So these are like the official confirmed 140 victims of war. It might be more because we don't really know is the thing. Mm. Because the GDR did make a point of not keeping very accurate records of these sorts of things. Yeah, we, we know the border guards accurately, I imagine, because, you know, the thin green line. Uh, between yeah, between between communism and uh, context, um, but yeah, we don't quite know. And what I find interesting is that at least 250 people died while crossing the border legally from like heart attacks, like mostly old people who were perhaps you know given the chance to finally emigrate or you know something like that. And apparently, it was such a stressful experience that uh, at least 250 of them just yeah couldn't make it. <laughs> I I do it's, note it's here impressive. That that the Soviets were able to, you know, enforce communist culture on East Berlin so thoroughly that they didn't keep accurate records. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they really did, like, de-Germanify the mindset for a little yeah. bit. Um, yeah, I, I, I do note here that the, the circly anti-climby bit is made of asbestos, which means that... Well, it should uh, get lit on fire. That's true, but on the other hand, it means that you, you escape to the West successfully and get mesothelioma. One yeah. sort of like Hernika's revenge. Take the good for the bad, you know. It's fine if you're not actively doing demolition with it. Okay, it's How about fine. If I'm like scrabbling at it with my fingernails. Yeah, it's still probably fine. fine. That's that's you're not inhaling it. No, she'd be inhaling it, my guy. <laughs> yeah, not that I'm trying, much. I'm trying you, to like chew my way out over the top of the fence. Ross being like, that's if not you how you live, get it. <laughs> if you live to the age of nine hundred, maybe you'd have a risk. I don't know. I it's not. <laughs> It's not that much asbestos. You're not like dealing not with it point. every day. You're dealing with it once. <laughs> what if I go back over? Yeah, if you try to escape every single day, then the asbestos is a problem. Well, that, that's a question. <laughs> right. This is a question because there's no, absolutely no reason for them to do this. And I don't know if we would even know. Did anyone try and get over it west to east? Just like put a ladder up to it on the western side. I'm just... fucking tired of this. <laughs> there Not are too many true, cereals but... in the cereal aisle. <laughs> I think it might have happened like like in the criminal world. I'm sure for some reasons needed to have communication between East and West Berlin, you know, smuggling shit around and stuff like that. So it's quite possible yeah. there was a little bit of traffic or attempted traffic from west to east. It was definitely the, the exception. In this case, I think the asbestos thing is also kind of a, an attempt at making the wall sound even more sinister than it already is, because uh, I haven't read it anywhere else where it's made of asbestos, but who knows. I would, I would imagine the uh, the asbestos is just for structural reinforcement, because they yeah. get those long fibers, you know? Um, that's not not that's not even like, a, that's not fireproofing, that's not anything, it's just... Well, the Don't problem with asbestos... make a circular thing. The problem with asbestos is that it's very good. Um, <laughs> like lead, lead, yeah. lead is fucking amazing, right? It's it's like very malleable. It it's an antidepressant. It makes you feel happy. It just may also makes you very dumb. Yeah. <laughs> also, the room of the butterflies is not your friend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, another inaccuracy with this graphic is that in the control strip, like on the right, it says sometimes mine. This is true only for the greater inner German border in Berlin. There were no mines and no. 
automatic weapon systems. These were only used like in the border, like in the, the rural area, stuff like that, where you couldn't have people watching all the time. In East Berlin, you would just get shot. You would not get exploded by a mine. So. Oh, that's not that's not as bad then. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a lot, a lot nicer. If we go to the next slide, we can see More a civilized. somewhat better diagram. So this is in German, sadly, but it's basically the same thing. You can sort of get a better idea of, of how it is. And the interesting point, I think, here is that you can see on the left that the actual border signified by this dotted line was actually like one or two meters ahead of the wall. So in West Berlin, you could actually go into the GDR anytime you wanted just by standing really close to the wall. So, so technically, every kid who ever did like graffiti on this was like a sort of fascist saboteur, exactly. illegally entering uh, DDR territory. Exactly. But again, you know, this is it goes to show that the wall was directed mostly at the eastern population because that's where most of the wall is in the end, <laughs> and it's really trying to keep them from that. Like the guards were also only on the eastern half of this whole operation, so to as to be closest to where the people who might be escaping be coming from so yeah so like it's still like remembered from a western viewpoint which is still really yeah nice. like berlin wall people think of the west side of it looking east um, yeah i was i always thought that they had the the big concrete wall on both sides but apparently not <laughs> no. and if we go to the next slide again we can talk a bit more about a very very spicy obstacle course you know yeah because this is uh, probably the most famous of the wall victims also, one of the early ones was killed on the 17th of August, 1962. His name was Peter Fechter, and he was, I think, a mason or something like that. And just a young man who, with a friend, wanted to leave because he just didn't like it there. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't anti-communist especially or anything like that. He just thought he might have better life across. And so uh, somewhere nearby Checkpoint Charlie, they crossed no man's land. His friend made it over the wall. You can see, I don't know quite how they did it because you can see there's barbed wire on top. So not another thing for, for Ross to do, but his friend managed. But just as Fechter was about to roll across the wall, he was shot in the back by the East German border police and was left there for an hour to start with when he was bleeding out and crying for help. Jesus Christ. And uh, yeah. on the Western side, just across, like you can see it in the pictures, but basically like 100 meters away, was uh, the headquarters of the largest West German uh, newspaper editor, Springer Verlag, which didn't exist today and has most of the media in Germany. So that, this is why this is so well documented. Like you had journalists on the site instantly, basically. Mm. But yeah, they left him out there just to bleed out until one hour later, they carried him away, as you can see in the pictures. And on the west side, like the police came, they threw some bandages over the wall to him in an attempt to help him, but that didn't help. And yeah, then he it's, died. It's sort of like first-person yeah. shooter logic of like we're right. gonna throw the like health kit over to <laughs> yeah exactly right and so he died then either on the way to the hospital or at the hospital we don't know exactly because east germany didn't tell but it was like one of again the most publicized border killing basically it was a huge pr disaster for east germany because you could obviously see like there was really no hiding it that was just a murderous border regime you can sort of see in the left mm. picture that they popped smoke to try to hide what's going on but it didn't really work mm. and uh yeah it's just it's uh it's like this happened and again senseless. and again like for over right. 100 people so mm. not very nice pretty pretty ugly that's that's a pretty ugly thing to do right. oh yeah you know 
Yeah, mostly yeah. just leaving him there. I mean, it's unclear why they did that. Like, there was no threat. Like, they weren't going to get shot at from West Berlin. You can see, you know, he's yeah. still behind the wall. Nothing's going to happen to you. You can just go there and get him. Yeah. But uh, they didn't do that. Maybe it's just a question of, like, you know, 19-year-old conscripts needing to call up to, like, four layers of chain of command to even, like, go out of the guard post. I don't know. Hey, what do I do here, right? Yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, uh, it's, it's real bad. If we go to the next slide, um, I have some sort of I guess spin this off into the broader like economy and like transit between yeah. East and West Berlin and sort of like the the PR repercussions of this for East Germany, which is like uh, for a long time like uh, sort of the politics developed of like managing East Germany. Right, uh, we talked about like uh, buying people out, you know, either out of prison or like buying them their exit papers. Um, but also letting tourists in. Mm. Um, and we see here on the right-hand side an intershop. Um, yes. Because the thing is, right, if, if you're building like a big like anti-fascist protective measure because everyone on the western side is a fascist, right. why then do you want to let them into uh, the beautiful sort of like hinterland <laughs> of socialism? Money. Uh, yeah, you need, you need the cash. You need cash. You need foreign cash. Yeah, you, know, because... you need hard cash, yeah, because uh, <laughs> what's it? The... Uh... All the East, uh, all all the sort of uh, what you call it, the the the, the Soviet bloc uh, currencies weren't really exchangeable for yeah the, actual the Western currencies. Good American yeah. money. What are you going to yeah, trade yeah. your shit for, rubles? Um, and uh, it, oh. there perversely there were some ways in which the East German economy was like the most successful out of any of the of the sort of like uh, Comic Con and then like Warsaw Pact uh, thing. There are a few things, um, like it, of course, because this is me. I'm going to say like camera lenses, optics, um, <laughs> watches, even like consumer goods, like dishwashers and stuff. Like the highest czar check steampunk devices. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like the, the highest aspiration of the, like the sort of the 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 Russian, the Soviet bourgeois at this point was to own like consumer goods made in East Germany, um, because they were like a little bit nicer, and some of them were like kind of almost world class um but you can't like only sell that shit to uh to the east some of it you want to sell to the west some of it you want to like but you need dollars and you need like west german marks um and like also that's one of the reasons that people in vgr themselves were so poorly equipped is that because most of what they produced went out like for instance mm. the trabi the traband some of the nicer ones so you know, they make exports. a lot of them but they all went out, and so that's why Got you it. had to wait 10 years in Germany to get one. Morning or evening, because the plumber's coming in the morning. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so, so, so transit between goes through these, these military checkpoints, uh, and you know, these are very strictly controlled, um, I, more strictly on the eastern side, right, um, where you get your bags searched, you get your car searched in case you're hiding like dissidents in the, in the, in the boot or whatever. Um, you get sort of like interrogated for a bit by like a border police officer, um, but ultimately, like you still need that kind of commerce, so you you facilitate certain amounts of this that you control, which may also seem familiar. Um, so when people went into East Berlin, they had to convert a set amount of Western money into Eastern money. Like you had to, even mm. if you were to buy anything. Wow! And you couldn't convert it back when you went back over. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's like, a way of getting you to spend like, the money. 
obvious trap that like we, <laughs> yeah, we have this special yeah, it's like dangling this in front of you you like this you like that you like uh marlborough you do uh do you like uh did a, a, a copy of the collected works of um uh angle marks and angles like yeah. uh and right, you so, want to read some sultan eaton the problem is that I, I do not. like Marlboro. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, but but so um, yeah, it's really weird to me that Checkpoint Charlie is like a tourist attraction now. And well, nominally, it it's like a very strange one. It has a strange vibe to me because like Berlin has just progressed around it, so it's a guard shack in the middle of the street with a sign, sure. uh, and some guys like cosplaying. Uh, mm -hmm. And you know, t tourists who don't have any better ideas than to read like Google. And we're gonna like... build a museum there, so it's gonna become more mm. of a more of a space. But it's it's still coming, especially if you when you go to the next slide, you can see all the border crossings that there were. And uh, checkpoint Charlie, which is number five, was as it says here only for diplomats and non-German uh, foreigners. So basically, just for the Allies. Normal people never went through Checkpoint Charlie. Like, mm. just, you, know, you go there today, you imagine, oh, this is where the people cross the border. No, this is where the Americans cross the border. <laughs> and it's basically the case yeah. with almost every other checkpoint, like Friedrichstraße, number one, is the only one that uh, East Berliners could use to cross over to West Berlin. All the other ones are not allowed for East Berlin. It's only for either West Berlin people or West German people or the Allies, basically. You had also a few spots for like number 14 number 13 13 is for train traffic 14 is for highway traffic but basically within the city as an east berliner you could only go through friedrichstraße and that was it and all the other spots were reserved for certain groups of people so that's, so that's something i think that a lot of people don't really know they thought you know all the border crossings were open to whoever had business at them but it's actually not the case it was even more restricted than that mm. and on this map you can also see on the on the western border on the left side this area in orange labeled A and B. These are places where the original border was a bit wonky. Like, you know, it wasn't a straight line, it wasn't nice. So what they did at some point, they did uh, territory swaps. So like oh, sure. this, this A parts originally, I think was Western, but then it became Eastern so that the border would be nicer. <laughs> and they sort of exchanged it for some of these enclaves that those sort of outside of West Berlin where it was still a West Berlin territory technically. So it sort of, you know, it shows the absurdity of trying to separate things neatly where originally they are not neatly separated just by the very nature of the urban fabric, basically. So you had to go back later and sort of work it out. So like, were you allowed to um, like casually cross the border at all? Or was it like you had to have official super serious business to cross the border because well if you, you know. were a member of the occupying forces i think you always could go through because that was a big thing it was very important for everyone that everyone would be able to you know move around because berlin is occupied by everyone together you know fletcher sort of principle you don't dictate who goes to the bathroom and who does not <laughs> there's an interesting sort of wrinkle in this too which is that uh that that status of forces agreement does not recognize either uh either germany I've seen a, a sort of like a, a training VHS tape from the early '80s of how to drive to West Berlin <laughs> yeah. from West Germany, yeah. presented by the Royal Military Police for Allied military personnel, and it's like 
do like do not answer questions from uh, East German officials. Do not talk to them. Wait for the Soviets to show up because they're the only ones we like diplomatically we're allowed to, to We're willing to deal with like, it. Yeah. You, yeah, if your car breaks down and they offer you a tow, do not acknowledge them. Wait for them to get the Russians. Yeah, because I think until like super late, like at least in the 80s and perhaps even up to reunification, West Berlin was legally not a part of West Germany. Mm. Like it was not under their jurisdiction. It was under the jurisdiction of the occupying powers. Could so West Berliners even vote in German West Germany? I don't actually know. But I know, for instance, why a lot of people wanted to move there. It's because if you moved in West Berlin, you were exempt from conscription and military service. Because mm. you didn't want the West Berliners to be in the army, for obvious reasons, apparently. But so, so these people could move across the border quite freely, I think. But for normal people, like for East Germans, definitely not. Like You needed to have a reason, you needed to have an authorization which you had to ask for in advance and which would likely be denied unless you were a certain privileged kind of people. And for West Berliners, I think it was more relaxed, but like you maybe had a, a limit on the number of times you could go over something like that. Like it was closely watched, but it was easier for West Berliners than for East Berliners. For East Berliners, almost impossible. All right. Uh, next slide. Yeah. Yeah. Now we can talk for a bit about the uh, public trains, transport. Trains. Because everyone trains, likes trains. 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 trains, 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 trains. trains. Yeah. Because that's one of the interesting knock-on effects. Like you draw a border through a city, like the whole city infrastructure is obviously not not been constructed around this border, which did not exist before. So that was one of the first things. Like when the wall was built in '61 or was started, one of the first things that people noticed in West Berlin was suddenly the trains stopped coming. Like because it was, you know, it was a night service because it's a civilized country, and uh, it stopped. <laughs> <laughs> And then there was very complex arrangements when they made like the, the S-Bahn, which is sort of a light rail for the somewhat greater Berlin area at the time, uh, was, became divided in an East S-Bahn and the West S-Bahn. But up until like 1984, uh, the West S-Bahn was still being operated by East Germany. Yes, so it I know was in West Berlin. You had, you had East German transit cops, because they had to develop oh, no. a, a, a separate transit police for this. Uh, but my favorite part of this is that, so as part of the whole successor state thing, um, so East Germany claimed to be, uh, like, to have all of the privileges and, like, responsibilities and rights that, like, Germany did diplomatically, which meant that it kept the continuity railway. So, Christmann. in a... Yeah, so in a communist state, you had an imperial railway. You had a Reichsbahn. Yeah, the, the Reichsbahn. Yeah, yeah, um, with, with the like, uh, with a like a big DR logo on there. You know, had serifs wow. on the font and everything. Uh, and that that's wherefore, yeah, that that's wherefore Deutsche Bahn is because think, West Germany had to come up with something that like wasn't already like trademarked, as it were. I think yeah. I found my my cop sona. <laughs> you, you're like an East German transit I'm cop. East German transit cop in West Berlin. That sounds oh, great. <laughs> you're wearing a kind of like like a sort of like a communistified originally Wehrmacht uniform that's been dyed blue in a hurry. Yeah, yeah. it's very splotchy. <laughs> we can't yeah. emphasize that enough. But yeah, but so with this West Berlin S-Bahn being run by the East Germans was actually a financial loss for East Germany because the West Berliners boycotted it. Like it was a Honecker's ban, and you didn't want to take yeah. it. Like it was seen as a slight upon the national honor. And so they, they lost a lot of money with it until 1984, where they sort of gave it to the West. And that's when the, the BVG, the Berliner Verkehrsgesellschaft, the transit company for Berlin, was founded. So 
uh, which still runs everything in Berlin today. So it's also a product of a division of a city. And they lost that beautiful communist, communist imperial livery that paints everything bright yellow. Because like the, the the functional way that these things ran was like, you know, you have one single line that goes through the city that happened across the border, right? So uh, all of a sudden, you know, in the out, outlying areas of the S-Bahn, because the S-Bahn goes out into the suburbs, um, you know, these were in, you know, they were in East Germany. So it's like, okay, this comes into the city. It comes into West Berlin. You're going to make a couple stops, um, you know token stops but i guess no one used them you got to somehow kick all the west berliners off before you hit the border uh it's a very very difficult thing to run yeah um you know and it also wasn't very useful if you were in west berlin and you didn't want to go to east berlin i mean you know this this whole the 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 way the s-bahn ran and it also contributed to like a lack of development of the s-bahn in west berlin which persists to this day um, Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, sadly, Alice, you are wrong. Uh, the communist livery oh, was not yellow. Like it, the one on the right here is the communist one, and it's actually white, a sort of eggshell, and and that red, sort of nice. burgundy red. And on nice the left cream. side, you can see the western one. It's oh, wait, uh, no, yellow no, and no, wait, red. Never mind. I, I did this backwards. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and, yeah, and here you can see yeah. the wall running smack down the middle of the tracks. Because of course you also gotta keep that part of the sure. uh, border safe. Mm -hmm. And in the next slide, we can see the Uban situation. Yes, which is like, as you said, they, not quite like you said, but like what they did, like the Uart, which is the, the blue line here that you can see, is in the west, in the north, and it's in the west, in the south, but it's in the east, in the middle. So what do you do? What do well, you try to Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the, the tube does this with uh, zone two and three at Battersea Power oh, Station. Sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they try and shoot you if you get off there too. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, they just drove without a stop, just like the whole way, which was pretty weird. And they did the same thing with the EVS band, the north-south S-Bahn, and with the U6 as well. But what this meant for East Berlin was that they didn't have a U8 and they didn't have a U6. They only had the U5, which runs east-west and is not shown on this map. And the U2, which also runs, runs sort of east-west and is also not shown on the map. So East Berlin sort of lost two underground lines because of the war, you could say. And they still had to maintain the tracks. Like that was still uh, East German business, but they did it for the West Germans, basically. <laughs> This and, is what you get stuck with if you sort of like insist that you're still the railway. Basically. And on the, the right side, you can see a picture of uh, Potsdamer Platz, the underground station for the S-Bahn, which was built by the Nazis, interestingly, in 1937. Still got which the you can sort of tell yeah. by the signs. They still have the signs. They haven't changed them. And uh, right. so that's, that's basically what it was like. Some of these stations were used, I think, at least parts of them, like as storerooms. You just put a few walls in there and you can just store stuff. But most of them were just empty up until reunification. So, like in some so cases, like of hoarders. <laughs> you, had like, yeah. uh, you had like guards there in case someone pulled the emergency brake to try and escape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you had all kinds of these. The, the, you know, the, it was uh, you know, <laughs> fulfilling the, the... conscription. Take two years of your early life and like guard the platform at like mm -hmm. uh, a closed train station. Easy job, easy job, right there. <laughs> no one, no one ever said. No one ever said the Soviets didn't have easy jobs uh, available if you really wanted them. <laughs> That's uh, true. Now, now there's a 50-50 chance that you wind up, uh, I don't know, going to Siberia and getting beaten to death as a hazing ritual. <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> 
maybe you get to be the guy who can just go sleep at Potsdamer Platz every day. And it must have looked a bit, I mean, it does look a bit desolate. You know, it must have been so weird just being in these empty stations with the lights on, no one there. Mm. There's a train coming through every five minutes, just rattling on and people looking at you through the windows. I don't know. You could do you could do some pranks on those people. Though, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> you, could. you could do great pranks. And in the lower right, you can see the arrangements at Friedrichstraße, which was one of the crossover oh, points between East yes. and West. And it's a maze of, I mean, it's still a complicated station even nowadays, but like... You the have, Palace uh, of Tears? That, yeah, that's what they call it. It's uh, where when you wanted to go into West Berlin from East Germany, you would come from the little red arrow, which is on the right of the, the, the blue area. And this is the place where you would, you know, get searched and get interrogated and whatever before you can go on to the white area in the main station, which was the western half of the station. And from this white western half of the station, where you wanted to go into the GDR, you would go through the red area, where you get searched and interrogated, until you came out in the green area, which was the eastern side of the station, which was connected to the uh, regular S-Bahn, which went to the east. So it was like a convoluted... I don't know what happened if you took the wrong turn, <laughs> but uh, probably bad things. Yeah, you're just getting like oh, sort of cavity yeah, searched yeah. twice, you know? Yeah. 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 Like it's just, it's a perfect example of, you know, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going around it for fun, just going back and yeah. forth. Yeah, but how do you deal with a complex legacy infrastructure that really isn't made for what you're doing? Well, you just kind of make do and you put up walls and staircases where people aren't supposed to go and just kind of deal with it. It's you know, it's built on top of itself. Another aspect which is interesting is that in East Berlin, there's a much more developed tram network. Yeah. Because in, in, in West Berlin, they, they decided these trams are bullshit. Let's replace them with bullshit uh, buses. Right? <laughs> I was about to say bullshit, which is, you know. Please tell me those are the ones that are bright yellow. Otherwise, fucking OMCI nah. has been lying to me. Uh, they got a bunch of uh, like uh, Tatra trams. Uh, in East Berlin, I want to no, say. No, I mean the West Berlin buses. Oh, the West Berlin buses. I don't know anything about buses in West Berlin. They're probably all Mercedes. Um, but uh, in East Berlin, even to this day, there's a much more well-developed tram network because, you know, the Soviets sort of valued that thing a lot more um, than we did in, in the West, um, you know, which is sort of... Of course. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, there's, there's an extent to which uh, public transportation was much more well invested in in the eastern bloc than you know western europe uh and you can sort of see it in how this developed uh in in berlin more than a lot of other places because there's like i don't know two or three tram lines in west berlin and then like 50 in east berlin to this day yeah yeah i mean it's also in part because like the, the bits of east berlin where you have lots of tram are generally built later and the parts of West Berlin, like West Berlin is a bit more constrained, like towards the West when you've got a big forest and Grunewald and that's the end of it. And it's all built like it's end of 19th century, basically early 20th. Whereas East Berlin expanded a lot during the time of uh, the division was in West Berlin, you couldn't expand anywhere. So you didn't have much of a reason to build uh, trams. Whereas in the East, you know, you had new new areas being developed. So they did put a lot of it into it because it's cheaper than, than the underground, of course. But now yes. they're, they're trying to bring back some some trams to the West as well. Like there's a few projects going on. Hmm. But we'll have to see. <laughs> Everything takes forever in Berlin, so. 
Yeah. So yeah, but basically that's that's the, the transport chaos. Like I think we've just really brushed on it here. Like it was even more complicated than that in some mm. cases, but it's uh <laughs> yeah, but we're hitting the two hour mark. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like, well, I you could do you could do two hours on Friedrichstrasse on, on itself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's do it. I don't even care anymore. Let's do it. <laughs> I'll tell yeah, the world, slide. baby, except that I don't, but I can yeah. pretend that I do. Yeah. Uh, this this next one's me. Um, I, I just wanted to put something in just to emphasize that, like, the wall was not only in Berlin. Went yeah, this is a wild around. picture. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it just, it just like, bisect bits of farmland and stuff, and, and this is the bit that we talked about where you could get, like, blown up by an ass mine or whatever if yeah. you wanted to. Um, well, had to like go all the way around West Berlin, right? You know, you, you yeah. sort of think of it as something that bisects the city in half. No, it went all the way around the Western half. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And also and, what you, you have to consider about these Western parts of the wall, well, like the people that live close to it, like there was a, a border regime in the area close to the wall as well. So like this picture of this small hamlet, I guess you'd call it. These people, there's quite a good chance they'd get their loft or their, their underground cellar searched once a week just because, you know, or like or you had to have a special kind of pass in order to go home every day because you were living close to the wall. Like the same sort of thing happened also within Berlin. Like if cemeteries that were close to the wall, there were quite a few of them, you had to have a special grave pass to show that you had to go visit the grave of your mother that was in the cemetery. You had to get authorization to do that. So, the, the whole thing just was also a nightmare for the people who just happened to be living there, even if it was in the middle of bumfuck nowhere, Saxony, basically. Mm. Uh, all right, next slide. Yep. So yeah, these are just like three slides. We can go through them in quite a quick sequence. I just wanted to show you something that I always found very interesting is that what I meant before, people don't necessarily realize how big the, the Mauerstreifen, the, the no man's land strip was, and that it's really, it's like a highway going through a city basically that's why i compare it like if you want to try to imagine what it did to the city a good example a good comparison is the, the highways from robert moses in the u.s you know we just level half a block to make way for something that nobody wanted to have sure. and uh, it's quite the same thing basically if you go to the next slide you can see it a bit even better where you have oh, wow. uh, yeah. a big cityscape in the middle you know from from afar it really does kind of look like a highway but it's not. It's uh, the wall. You have like up to like 150, 200 meters of no man's land in between, and that's that's really what was not visible to most people living there. Because when you're at ground level, you don't notice. But if you used to know the city and how it was before the wall was built, I think you would notice that like there was a big chunk of land missing. Yeah, I wonder how this would have fared into those sort of like time of drone photography and you know satellite imaging and stuff. Yeah, I mean you can you can see it also in the next slide. It's uh, it's, uh, it's an air. I'm just thinking uh, from the previous slide. I, I'm the guy. I own this apartment building here. Mm. How do I get this mm. wall inspected? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. Like I. Do I have to call someone from the other side of the wall to yeah, do it? Yeah, you gotta call. Like, what? what calling, okay, st calling streets department or, or L&I. What if I actually have a serious problem with the party wall there? You're you're gonna be... You're fucked. <laughs> you're fucked. You have to call 311, but for, like, a different country. Yeah, I mean, exactly. in this yeah. case, you're on the From a different side. economic system. <laughs> yeah. This building's on the eastern side, so probably your wall would be inspected for you by the brave boys of the border patrol. 
Oh, okay. We would certainly okay. notice if Thank something you. was happening to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's like it, like this. I don't, want, these, I don't want my wall inspected by a nineteen-year-old. I did that as a nineteen-year-old. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't know shit about anything when I used to do that. <laughs> <laughs> when you're in the grandmother's <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> all those years ago right of course yeah 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 you many still moons have ago helmet. yeah many moons ago when i was a drexel co-op uh, oh boy <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was weird that drexel had that sort of branch of the uh the ddr's border guard in it east, that, east like, german yeah <laughs> it's a sort of extracurricular activity somehow more depressing um, <laughs> you thought Drexel was depressing before. <laughs> so yeah, in this Don't area of photograph, you can really see. Don't as go well to Drexel as, University. <laughs> the scale of it—it's just—it's pretty insane, I think. And this is like mm. in the middle of a city. This is not on the outskirts. This is just below the Spree. We just can see the river at the top. And so yeah, it just so they, they just went ahead and did it. And the thing is, like, like I said, it's a big scar across the city, but at least it was across, you know, along uh, the original district uh, borders, which were somewhat organic in themselves to the city. So it wasn't like arbitrary. But on the eastern side, it became very arbitrary because, again, all this expanse of land that's being opened is always on the eastern side, not on the western side of the border. So uh, East Berlin was the half of the city that lost most uh, due to the wall, basically. They fucked themselves. Mm. Yeah, you can sort of like see a, a line of new buildings mm -hmm. along uh, along the wall. Uh, you can sort of see where stuff got demolished. You can see where, you know, so on and so forth. I mean, this is, um, it is very reminiscent of like the American highway system. But, you know, this is not even allowing people to move anywhere. This is the opposite of that. Yeah. And the American highway system doesn't allow people to move anywhere a lot of Well, well, okay, yeah, well, that's true. That's well, it depends. But yeah. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah, if you're redlining the GTI, uh, which we endorse. Thank you. Um, yeah. No, yeah. But, 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 yeah. On 76? Sure, good luck with that. Uh, redlining <laughs> the GTI down the Berlin Wall. I, I don't <laughs> redline it on 76 because I'm, I like my life. It's a German, it's a West German car, it's what it was built for, I assume. That's a good point, yeah. Uh, even though it was, I think, assembled in Mexico. <laughs> but here, at least in the center of the picture, you can see a nice new uh, housing complex, which was built in the late 60s, and which is now a lovely place to be, because you've got all these nicely spaced out buildings, multi-family housing, lots of green spaces, it's very quiet, big roads on the outside, with only small roads on the inside, it's uh, it's lovely. But uh, at the oh. time, your view from your balcony was uh, the border strip, so not so nice. Mm. Is, it's, is, is this the, the part in the sort of like the DDR museum that always makes visitors fall about laughing, where it's like, you know, un under the sort of like depraved socialist tyranny, the government would provide you this horrible apartment, and then it's an apartment <laughs> that's like way nicer than your apartment. Yeah, 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 yeah you know, that's the problem, that's the thing with the... The thing with the Soviet-style micro-districts is they're actually very nice. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And especially at the time. I mean, nowadays they're okay. They're nice. They can be nice if they're kept up nicely. But at the time, it was just, it was amazing. Like, you were coming from a 19th century building that had been bombed twice, burned out thrice. Which they deserved. Leaking everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then you move into this new building, central heating, a bathroom in the same floor. Ah, oh, the amazing. depravity. Yes. Yes. <laughs> It makes men soft. <laughs> you got three whole rooms. Holy shit. Oh my God. Oh, <laughs> hard times time. create working, strong men. Strong men create wall. 
<laughs> also flushing toilets who knew yeah strong men oh create flushing toilets times uh flushing toilets times create weak men weak men create uh no wall um <laughs> but yeah, one, it's of, the one things of the things you... that the gdr so to speak is still very proud of today is all the, the housing they built and it was a massive achievement like they built like a million uh housing units in like 20 years which is quite amazing Again, in its way, one of the most successful uh, sort of like uh, Soviet bloc countries. Yeah, but, I, but at the same time, if you were one of the many people the state did not like, you were not getting a nice apartment. You were getting mm. a shitty apartment, or you were getting no apartment at all. Because, like, especially for imagine. like young people who are single, good luck. Old people who are not working anymore, good luck. But if you're like a big family of two people who are working with three children, then you're probably fine. Unless you want, unless you have family in the West, in which case, again, good luck. Like some people waited like eight years to get a flat, which is pretty insane. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, you'd be living with eight other people in one apartment that's leaking or something like that. Well, probably not even leaking, you know, the big, the big issue in like the fifties, at least here in the United States, um, was, um, with a lot of these older buildings, was like we need to get indoor plumbing in here. Yeah. Do you guys I'm like not... asbestos? <laughs> some of the, some of the Soviet stuff. I mean, like the Stalinkas didn't have individual uh, kitchens because they they figured everybody would. I eat don't want to do that discourse. Yeah. I'm not doing that discourse. I'm not doing that discourse. I'm not, I'm not doing that discourse. Will, will we have restaurants under communism? You can Shut answer up. this or hit the next slide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so spe <laughs> speaking of restaurants under communism, and also speaking of weak men creating hard times, um, <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, you know how I said the thing about how eventually the chore wheel really gets out of hand? Um, well, eventually the, the, there was a sort of a crisis point that brought down the entire Soviet system, seen here embodied by Mikhail Gorbachev. Galbachev? <laughs> Mikhail Gorbachev. <laughs> Galbachev, yeah. Mikhail, that's his name. Uh, a little bit cunty. We yassified him. Mikhail Galbachev. I am. Um, I. I. I am so angry at you for making me hear the sense we yassified what? Mikhail Gorbachev. <laughs> I am so <laughs> furious with you my, right now. My brain is soup. Um, Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, doing a Pizza Hut commercial to pay the bills. Um, and uh, a, a rabbit, which is illustrating the concept of financial crisis. Um. <laughs> So, so yeah, it, it turns out that this is actually not a very sustainable way in the long term to build an economy. Is relying on tricking Western tourists into buying uh, shit from yeah. your your stores. Buying, uh, buying a, I'm buying a a, a, a carton of Marlboros. I need and yeah, <laughs> and I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to try and sum up the reasons why the Soviet economy imploded in like one slide in a largely unrelated <laughs> presentation. I'm, I'm only going to say that like if you, if you make the system based on reporting good numbers or else, people report good numbers or else, and anything that doesn't conform to the good numbers yeah. immediately goes to the parallel shadow economy, mm -hmm. which is not great. Like, it, it, as an example, so the GDR housing policy, you know, it's a thing that's always touted as the thing the GDR did well. You know, everyone, everyone in the end at least had some sort of, you know, no homeless people in the GDR, etc., which is true. But what it meant was that uh, the state paid two thirds of the effective rent, basically upkeep costs. Like, the rent you would pay was only two thirds of what was needed to keep the building from falling down, which is nice for you. And could be nice for everyone if the state had money. But if the state doesn't have money, then the buildings start falling down. 
So, and it's also what started happening <laughs> in the late 80s, basically. Like the state was just broke and everything was subsidized by the state. So everything was broke. Yeah, just so. And uh, yeah, we, that's the economic side. Uh, if we have the next slide, we have the political side, which is going to like actually force the issue. Uh, yeah, people were not defender. happy. Uh, in 89, there's, there's this big demonstration, which you can see the pictures of at Alexanderplatz in Berlin. It was the largest demonstration that ever happened in the GDR. And it was also, I think, one of the first unofficial, so not authorized demonstration. Like more than 500,000 people took part, which is insane for such a small country. And yeah, they were just pissed at this point. <laughs> Like uh, everyone wanted change. I think there was a lot of different opinions on what that change should be. Like a lot of people wanted to reform, wanted to keep the socialism. But there's, there's one guy in the back who's like, I, I would quite like some sort of like uh, uh, neoliberalism, please. Weird, uh, the weird please, shit. Please, please. Give me the weird yeah. shit. Yeah. I yeah, demand Thatcher. Give they, me Thatcher. And they listen to that one guy. Yeah, no, and where no is Thatcher? <laughs> um, but yes, I mean, we, we talked about the the specter of fifty three, and like ultimately, what this came down to in East Germany, as with a bunch of other places, is you know, Gorbachev not being willing to uh, like repress stuff as brutally yeah. as his predecessors had. Um, you know, and you know, hardliners tried it themselves in the Baltics, but um, like, uh, and then you had this like coup and counter coup in, in, in Russia but yeah. um, you know in, in East Germany it, it didn't come to that which it you know th this is always the threat as we said is that like yeah if you try and do any of this stuff then you know either us or the Soviets is going to kill all of you and it, th there were some like dicey moments I remember reading about like um, in Dresden the, uh, the like um, the Stasi were like arming themselves waiting to hear you know do we shoot out of the windows at the crowd outside yeah. oh um, wow yeah and yeah, eventually the answer is like no. Just I don't I don't know what to do. Just fucking do whatever, which ultimately culminates in them Let's go storming home and the building. Just have a smoke. Let's just yeah. all go home and smoke. Yeah, people storm the building, and like after they've managed to shred a shitload of files, which are still being like painstakingly uh, put back together in, in state archives. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's yeah. one of the paradoxes of the GDR. Like on the one hand, it was an incredibly repressive state. Like the Stasi was a couple orders of magnitude more effective than the Gestapo in World War II. Like, it was a worse police than the Nazi police, really. Both more effective and, and better equipped, more people, everything. And they did horrible stuff to people they did not like all the time. But at the same time, at, when it came to it, you know, when, when push came to shove, they didn't shove and they didn't push, which is just really kind of strange because you would have expected them to shoot at people in the end. <laughs> but for some reason... It just wasn't in the culture somehow. Like it mm. was okay to punish people. It was okay to put people in prison. It was okay to to exile them if they wanted to leave. But it was not okay to just kill them. I've heard the the take that uh, I'm not saying I agree with it. I, I I I genuinely don't. But our best foreign policy president was George H. W. Bush because when the Soviet Union was collapsing, he sat on his hands. I think there's a lot to be said for. Yeah, I mean mm. Reagan could have. Started World War Three. One of many times you could have done that, right? Um, and we are not endorsing Reagan or Bush one. Leave us alone yeah, in the comments. Well, I, I, I think one thing that Bush and and Honecker have in common, to be honest, is there is a a value in being boring. <laughs> um, oh yeah. If, 
it, it, I think it's the kind of like uh, grandiosity that inspires you to like give those orders to shoot into the crowds. It's the kind of thing that like Trump did many times. Strong, weird, not, strong was, man shit. Yeah, right. was and was not listened to by people who yeah. were like professionally boring. Um, yeah, and and sort of like much the same. You know, like e even like Eric Milka, who was you know head of the Stasi and like yeah, much weirder man personally. It, it, when he had his sort of like comeuppance, um, it, it, it still didn't like it, it was not that melodramatic. It, it led to him saying the bizarre thing. This is a guy who'd been like sort of had tortured dissidents for you know his entire career, saying, "But but I love everyone," and getting booed and getting like shit thrown <laughs> at him. Um, but yeah, no, it just it, it, in the end, it sort of like um, you know, kind of. Survived the test of whether or not this was going to be something that was was going to be repressed by force. And I mean, at this point, also the state was just generally kind of paralyzed. Like the leadership was also getting old, you know, just like in the Soviet Union. And mm, imagine they just, that. they just didn't do anything. I think wow. they didn't know how to deal with it, so they just didn't. <laughs> it's okay to take like days for your mental health and like personal <laughs> yeah. reflection and stuff. You know, no, they can't okay make to, you come into the office. It's okay to retire before you die in office. Yeah. Another sort of Joe, like, if you're listening, if you're out there. <laughs> another sort of context lesson here that it is important if you want to do a socialist movement to have like an interest in the next generation of it. Yeah, instead, I, instead of torturing all of them. I don't know how relevant it is to this discussion, but there are a, a lot of off ramps where the Soviet Union could have you know, created a more uh, sustainable version of socialism, and they just chose not to it's take a, it's, a, it's legitimately like a human and a political tragedy. Like, <laughs> when I say that the wrong side won the Cold War, I don't mean because the Soviet Union was, like, an unalloyed good, right? It's that it could have been. It was the only thing that could have been in that context. Yeah. And it's yeah. just that they, they fumbled the bag on a world historical level, and now yeah. we live in the terrible this, consequences. Yeah. This shit. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. The way I see it is that the Soviet Union was always sort of a, an event horizon for an alternative. It was a shitty alternative, but it was an alternative. You know, you had mm. someone trying something else. Right. Maybe it yeah. wasn't working, well, but that. they were trying something else. Whereas now everyone's just kind of doing the same thing. Yeah. More of this, you know, more, right. more capitalism. It's, yeah. it's important, though, to, to remember, too, that y'all are babies, and the only solution is an anarchist. Uh, and I'm just yanked off stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that, so, so, yeah. Leo has a, been replaced. A, <laughs> so, there's, there's one guy in this demonstration who's like that, and then there's one guy on <laughs> the other just side. Just me in the back. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then there's one other guy on the other side who's like, what I would like is a kind of soft annexation into neoliberalism, where all of the most corrupt parts of the East German state administer the transition and enrich themselves, and then uh, we fuck the economy and yeah, all yeah. vote for AFD. Yeah, one one guy in the back's like, woo, Christian Democrats! Have <laughs> <laughs> you guys heard of pocket, like getting shit thrown at me? <laughs> I mean, there, I will there say was, that there, there was, was a CDU in, in the GDR. Like, they had yeah, parties, they, they had, had like small they had pseudo opposition. parties. Yeah. Ah. But, uh, it didn't really allow them to do anything, but they existed. Another thing, another thing they did have at this point was, was Nazis. And I, I want to oh, emphasize really? this. Oh, it's, not, yeah, it's, not, it's not to call these people Nazis, because they're not. What I mean is that like some of the early loci of opposition to uh, socialists, the socialist regime in East Germany were... Uh, like punks and uh, football hooligans who 
both for shock value and out of genuine political conviction, a lot of the time went Nazi. There's a there's a quote that really really struck me. Uh, I, I read a thing about um, FC Union Berlin fans, um, and one of them said uh, that you know it's it it was it was uh, a kick to do like a, a Nazi salute in front of the Volksbildzeit because you know you did this, and for some of them you could see their world just fell apart. And it's like, yeah, it really fucking did, huh? Um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Pandora's box that. having been opened, um, yeah. you know. Anyway, next slide. <laughs> Remo- removes anti-fascist protective wall fascism. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the, the fall of the wall itself was, again, kind of a thing that just happened. And people weren't really ready for it. Like the, the GDR was mm. discussing internally it's changing the, the border rules and the travel rules. And they had sort of a new draft ready. And there was a conference about it. And questions were asked, etc. And then a journalist asked the relevant minister of a member of the Politburo some, you know, some more precision on the question. And he quoted from the draft text of the legislation which said that people would be able to travel freely between Eastern and West Germany. And then another journalist asked, when does this come into effect? And, and this guy just said, like, as far as I know, this is effective now without oh, delay. Worst you've ever <laughs> fucked up at work. <sighs> because at this point, the border forces themselves had not yet been informed uh, that this would be the new way going that forward. That had so. to be the worst six hours of this dude's life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you want to get really yelled at? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they all knew it was coming to it. Like, it was the agreed course. It just it happened a bit quicker than everyone expected. So, you know, many thousands of East Berliners showed up at the border pool saying, hey, did you see the interview on TV? We're all getting out now. Let us out. And And again, amazingly enough, no one got shot or anything. Like at, at one border crossing, the first was people were being let out. They would stamp their passports as being invalid. So they were effectively being exiled from East Germany because then you couldn't come back without a valid passport, which was a pretty shitty thing to do, I think, at this point especially. But uh, then later on, the, the officer in charge at this border crossing, which is Bornholmer Straße, uh, made the decision individually without orders to just open the gates and forego the passport checks. And that's sort of what really broke the dam eventually, because mm. once it was opened there, then they had to open everywhere. So it was in a way sort of this one dude who just decided upon his own conscience, okay, I'm, I don't, there's 10,000 people here. I have to do something. Yeah, and instead something of just like shooting them, enough. I'm going right. to open the gates and take <laughs> the guns away from my men and just that's it. Yeah. If you give someone like a a, a middle or junior manager a big enough bureaucratic headache, you'll probably just be like, "Yeah, okay, whatever." I I really like this uh, this photo on the left because it always looks to me like the one big dude has just shoved the wall over. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty big dude. Yeah, there's a large man. Um, also, if you if you look on the the right here of the disassembly, someone has graffitied Joker on the wall, which is says a lot oh, about yeah. the society in which we, live. <laughs> we, we live in a society we live in one of we those in one back of those. then already too amazing <laughs> we went from we we live in two societies to we live in <laughs> one society but yeah basically it was also a huge logistical endeavor to just demolish the thing like it cost a lot of money and uh, it took a long time <laughs> because you know it, we've seen the pictures it was really a huge a huge thing but if we can go to the next slide we can see that uh, a lot of enterprising people took the matter in their own hands. And uh, these are called Mauerspechte, which means wall peckers. 
Basically, and I would That's not real. <laughs> yeah, you just show up with a with a chisel, you know. Exactly, or, or yeah. Uh, yeah. an air hammer, you know. <laughs> they also did that. And you can I see on the that. picture on the right, uh, there's a sign that says Stück, ein DM. So you could buy a piece of a wall for one Deutsche Mark. So I suppose the kids there were trying to make some money. But so all the pieces of the wall <laughs> that you can buy in souvenir shops and everything, it's sort of the same. So it got the backwards S, like on a lemonade stand. <laughs> yeah. And I like, uh, on the bottom like you can see uh, yeah, the graffiti Danke Gorbi, which <laughs> <laughs> is also quite a bit. That's what the Germans called Gorbachev. They call him Gorbi. I, I have a little like um Mauerstück, because I, I I have a little piece of the wall, allegedly. Uh and the reason why is because man, it got everywhere. It's because I bought as a child the uh like special edition of World in Conflict. And that was the like special edition thing when back when video game special editions came with like actual things was it comes in a fancy box and there's a little piece of the Berlin Wall. Um, which, thanks. So I still have that. So but basically that's what happened to the wall. It was trucked away or chipped away, depending on which piece of it it was. And there's a few original pieces now still remaining. There's also, like, internationally, they gifted them to whatever. Some of them were sold at auction, I think, 160 of them. a Palestinian flag in the top right yeah. of the left-hand picture. Wow. I mean, the GDR and the PLO were big friends. Yeah. Like, uh, who's the name of the leader of PLO? I forget. Yes, Arafat. Yeah, he paid like for Hanukkah's medical bills in Chile when he was sick in the last years of his life. Oh, besties. Exactly. <laughs> it's also like, a, there's sort of this weird capitalism thing where these pieces of the Berlin Wall showed up, you know, when they were, when they were, when the wall was dismantled. I remember that. Okay, so my dad used to work in Roslyn, and there was this park. Doing what, Ros? For the CIA. No, no CIA's, for Amer CIA's. American Chemistry Council. Yeah, CIA is the other one. Um, <laughs> so we've mentioned that on the podcast before. Yes, so we, we have. Um, and so there was this park they built in Roslyn, a privately owned park Ugh, that was built on an overpass. <laughs> that was It was built on an overpass that had been improperly built so they couldn't actually run cars on it. Um, and it was like, okay, here you are in Roslyn, which is where all the lobbyists go if they can't build a building tall enough in Washington, D.C., just across the river. And it's like, yeah, we got four sections of the Berlin Wall here. And it's like, this is the horrors of communism. Now, the other thing is they ran out of money to keep maintaining the park, and they had to sell off the pieces of the Berlin Wall to somewhere else. <laughs> Wait, so the horrors <laughs> yeah. of capitalism couldn't maintain a memorial to the horrors of communism? No. no. That's really funny. The horrors of... It, I mean, again, the whole thing was built by the government just accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay. Yeah. Next slide, we can see further horrors of communism and capitalism. <laughs> Old man Yowie, you knew it was time. Uh, if you if you persisted this far into the episode, this is your reward. Um, God save me from this deadly love. Um, so uh, this is a, a tradition that the USSR tried to make happen. It's a socialist fraternal kiss. Uh, you just uh, if you're friends with Brezhnev, he like plants one on you. Um, and so this is Brezhnev and and Hanukkah uh, having a little kiss. Um, they're always supposed to go. Yeah, he also killed Gorbachev. He also kissed Gorbachev. You think so. Brezhnev was a good kisser? Or do you think he was like kind of sloppy? Oh yeah, yeah, incredibly good, like outrageous, you know. Yeah. Do you think Brezhnev was better than Khrushchev, though? Ah, uh, yeah, I think so. Very sensual eyebrows. 
Um, oh, okay. well, yes. Yeah, so, so, so this is <laughs> Ross. This, <laughs> this is like one of the most like uh, famous bits of like painting graffiti on the wall, right? Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it, at some point, someone was like, "We should probably look into preserving some of this instead of going." I'm not schedules. sure, but I think a lot of the paintings on the East Side Gallery, which is what this bit is called, were made after 1990. Mm. So I don't think this is. I mean, I would be surprised if this was pre reunification. Okay, I think it's. it's a, a, I think it's redone. I yeah, think they redo like... it anyway because now they have to because there's a lot of tourists and everything. And I have to say, sorry to say, I mean, this piece is is nice, but the rest of the so-called art on the East Side Gallery is dog shit. And I stand by that statement. <laughs> stand by that statement. <laughs> we're just we're just going in on like two Berlin attractions you can miss: the East Side Gallery and Checkpoint Charlie. Yeah, because it's it's right by what is practically a highway. Like there's there's six lanes of traffic next to it. Like it's not nice. Like people, the fucking tourists stand on the, the sidewalk while I'm so trying to ride by my, my bike. You have to ring at them, make them go away. It's really <laughs> annoying. <laughs> the Arc de Triomphe is is like that, where you're just like, oh, this is just a fucking traffic circle, and now oh, yeah. I have to run like an asshole. <laughs> Arc de Triomphe. I mean that that whole traffic circle is like a special. That's a special. Thing there's a special place in hell for whoever yeah. yeah, 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 it's because because it's just anarchy, there's yeah. a, no rules, it's Which not even a traffic circle, just I'm drive your with, car, <laughs> just yelling at the Place de l'Etoile, let's see you fucking synthesize some penicillin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> anyway, next slide, please. And we can see somewhat more authentic uh, rests of the wall, like on the right side upper, this is at the, the memorial site at the uh, Bernauer Straße where they're reconstructed or preserved. It's half half an actual bit of the actual wall. So you can see the scale of it. Like it's the only place in Berlin where you can still see what it was actually like and the kind of space it took up. And then in the center and middle you can see that's uh, by Topographie des Terrors, which is actually more about the Nazi stuff. That's where the Gestapo had its headquarters. They also have a pretty long strip of it which is still preserved more like in original shipped condition Again, for and berlin to be like yeah we have to co-locate the sort of uh state terror museum between the fascism and the communism. you don't have much of a choice you know lots of stuff yeah. happening but <laughs> <laughs> so if you if you climb over this do they kill you yes. not anymore no no you can give it a go i guess do some like experimental archaeology uh just <laughs> not not authentic. They should have like a guy with a paintball gun up here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> See, I get we're coming back to like you in the East German border guard. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fantasy. Yeah, so yeah. We'll, get, we'll get you a uniform off eBay. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what they have in my sizes. People were smaller uh, back they, then. <laughs> this is not true, right? Germans, and particularly East Germans, are a, a, a gut heavy people. And so. Uh, point, East yeah. German like uh, official clothing sizes, right? For for a, a men's jacket, right? They the you know, like standard sizes. So like, say you're like a forty four inch chest, you're like a fifty six or a fifty eight, right? But there's a little dash after it, so that's the normal size. And then there's a a little belly, which is a, a dash one, and then there's a big gut, which is dash two. And it's the ah. the thing is like cut wider to allow for the girth. Um, yeah, so, yeah. so I feel like it, it was oh, a paradise. It was a socialist paradise. Oh. Uh, it, <laughs> they say it didn't do anything for its citizens, and yet, you know, uh, yeah, I, I could drink a liter of beer and be an East German border cop in the West. Yeah, right. the, 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 the oh, <laughs> size, you know, like sounds like a dream job. Yeah. 
And uh, on the upper left side here, you can see this is the marking in the central districts of Berlin. They've made this so that in the road, in the like the pavement, whatever, you know, where you're walking, everywhere you'll come across, you can see always, oh, I'm crossing the wall right now. Oh, I'm another, crossing the border again. Another fine entry in the genre of memorials to historical tragedy that you trip over. Yes. Yeah, I think this one's actually quite nice because like, if you pay attention a bit, you can notice that in the normal course of your day, you'll be going like six or seven times over the border. And then you think about, huh, I couldn't have done that back then. And you realize That's how wild, much the yeah. city has changed. Mm. It's like the yard of brick at the Indianapolis Speedway. <laughs> yes, it is like that. <laughs> <laughs> but generally speaking, otherwise, the wall has disappeared from Berlin. Yeah, you can't really see anymore. They've filled it all up. It's all been built up with new development and if you want to see more of a scale of the border the inner german border is preserved as a sort of a park landscape like overall the whole thing along the center of germany they're trying to keep it as a as a green border i guess is what you'd call it but uh, in berlin they didn't do that because uh, real estate is just too expensive and so you had to fill it all back up it has to it that is, has it, to go and become we works Exactly. It is kind of weird. Um, just uh, if you look at Berlin on Google Maps, I've never been to Berlin, but it's like you would expect oh, this show. wall. You would expect this wall to have more of a you know a scar on the city, but it's like no, this was we built over it. We it's yanked gone. that bitch out. It's over. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> yeah, especially when we consider the scale of it. Like it's just weird that it just vanished without a without a trace within like. 10 years it's just gone yeah it, it's just gone it's you know i mean you, you hook this stuff up to the big engine of like 90s capitalism and mm -hmm. yeah there you go yeah and the next yeah, slide you, you, you can still see where the uh central artery in boston was yep. um berlin wall gone <laughs> so uh, here this is the, the remembering the gdr slide uh, because what we have here is a picture of the foundations of the palace de republique Palace of the oh, Republic, which was the main uh, oh, building that's of the GDR, right there. finished yeah. 76, yeah. Yeah. at mm, the parliament, lamps, had a concert uh, hall, restaurants, everything was a very nice Gorgeous building, building. gorgeous, gorgeous building. One of, the, but, one of the greatest buildings ever built, I think. I agree. <laughs> but, uh, one, it was socialist, and two, it had asbestos in it, which as we know is Unsung bad. Unsung hero of the show, I asbestos. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. They had maniacs, he blew it up. Like, uh, th this is the thing, not, right, too. Would not catch fire. Because was... uh, after after reunification, uh, Berlin had two of everything, and then this sort of like abiding grievance of of East Berliners then to pretty much now is, why does it get to be our thing that's demolished? Yeah. Because like the yeah. International Conference Center in West Berlin, which is this huge sort of spaceship-looking building, is also full of asbestos, but is still standing, interestingly enough. Curious. Whereas the Palace of the Republic was full of spray-on asbestos that sprayed it onto the, the steel beams on the inside. And so they, what they did is first they removed all the asbestos at great expense. They basically yeah. emptied out the building, and then they tore it down anyway. <laughs> and... Uh, and yeah, as I said, you can see the foundation and someone has painted onto it uh, game, which means uh, the GDR never happened or never existed, which I find is a very fitting Audrey and poetic R. description. Because yeah. yeah. I think nowadays that's not true anymore, but in the early 2000s, that was definitely the vibe. Like the GDR, yeah. never heard of her. They Just replaced gone. this with um, sort of a, a replica, at least as far as the facade of an older German building that had 
stood yeah, on the, the site. Schloss. Yeah, which, um, you know, one of the things is, and I, I, I'm not against, like, reconstructing historic buildings that probably shouldn't have been demolished, but the other thing is, this was not a reconstruction of historic building. This was, uh, they did not do any of the interiors. It is a, a shitty office building with a nice facade. Um, <laughs> it's not an office building in their defense, but it's made of concrete and steel, and it's a bunker yeah. with a facade slapped onto it. it basically, it's very yeah. controversial. Lots of people hate it. Now there's a big museum inside it that's supposed to show how Berlin is this cosmopolitan international city while tiptoeing around the colonial history of Germany, <laughs> which is uh, nothing happened in Africa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am a member in an association that wants to rebuild the Palace of the Republic and demolish uh, the reconstruction of the Schloss. So, do, yeah. do you take foreign members? <laughs> yeah, I, I was about could. to say, hey, I, um, I would love to see that palace rebuilt. I, I, not, not even, you know, maybe put it on a different site. But that's a, that was a good fucking building. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. You know, <laughs> why, why, is so it always gonna be, why is it always going to be? it always going to be our context that we lose? <laughs> you know. So um, only the good die young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, every GDR man is associated very strongly with the wall, and that's the right thing to do. It was a terrible thing to do to the city and to the country in general. And the GDR in general, you have to say, was not a very good thing. You do not have to hand it to them. Mm. <laughs> but at the same time, again, it was an alternative. It was something different. It did some things right that were then very swiftly undone by reunification instead of trying to sort of like keep them over, like, you know, gender equality, some aspects of work, some aspects of housing policy, etc. But no, it was just everything was bad. And now we're slowly getting to a point where we can start to differentiate between what was bad and what was maybe sort of okay. But that took like 30 years. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Like huge amounts of like historical trauma from, you know, people that are victimized. But on the other hand, you know... It, it took until capitalism got worse than communism. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, like, and I think you're sort of like, your SED bureaucrat of the of the 80s view of now must be something like, how badly did we fuck it up that this is worse, you know? Yeah, I feel like, I feel like you know, if we went back in time, and we went through uh, Soviet border crossing, oh, you'd be like... <laughs> wow, this is this is a lot less invasive than the TSA, huh? Well, I, I have I have some thoughts about this if we go to the next slide. Uh, and yeah. my, my my question, by way of wrapping up my sentiment here, and I don't know if you'll agree with me or not, but I put these slides in so I get to do it, is um, what kind of sick, depraved, totalitarian, communist fuck freaks build a razor wire topped wall over a state border to prevent migration with that's the US Mexico border. Next slide, please. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Joe Brandon. I mean, I mean, really, well, though, what, no I mean, choice, dude. What, what kind of like evil, dictatorial, tyrannical, Stalinist bastard builds a razor wire topped wall to keep people in a kind of open air prison? And now that's the Israeli border wall around Gaza. Uh, Thanks, well, Benny from Cheltenham High School. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a photo of the, the Israeli wall around Gaza, which sort of leads me to, to my point, right? Which is, it comes in two, two flavors. No borders, uh, no nations, I agree. Yes, now, end the episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's more nuanced than that. No one is nuance. <laughs> uh, so, so, so my sort of my uh, depressing point is, 
Um, all of this is to say that something that in the 20th century was an unprecedented violation of human rights is now a thoroughly normalized violation of human rights. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're kind of, we're living in the Berlin Wall's world and that interim of happy liberal globalization reunification, if that was ever a real thing, is best understood as a temporary pause in a wider historical current of borders getting worse for everyone, which is great. Um, on the other hand, and this is the optimistic thing, because I, I like to end these things on an optimistic note. Um, yeah, the Berlin Wall teaches us that like all walls must fall, right? This stuff, like entropy being what it is, there is no state that can maintain a border indefinitely. Um, and it, that that isn't a time to sort of give up on the idea of making things better for people. Quite the opposite. I think that one of the lessons of the Berlin Wall is that once those systems of repression do disintegrate. You have to work very hard to provide something better. Otherwise, in thirty years later, like everyone votes for the AFD. Um, but yeah, that that's the sort of like political challenge that awaits us against all forms of like oppression and authoritarianism. That's my point of view. Yeah, I just noticed that this is also using ordinary streetlights. I mean, the real the real winner here, it, big streetlight. <laughs> want to say, bringing it back to the goddamn news, mm. what we have learned in this week is that, at the very least, you individually can get over the wall. These security <laughs> systems do yeah. not work. Yes, mm-hmm. genuinely. Um, 10,000 people, you're going to have some law. I, I just, I, some you're going to have some die, people, Some like, of you may die, but, you know, the, the thing is, these things don't work as well as advertised. Um, Folks, he's so right. Like, um, you know, this, it, this East German transit cop is right. They don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be East German transit cop. I, I'm just saying, look, uh, you know, there's ways to get around this thing. Come on. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, the, the I, US border wall is a joke. Uh, you know, it's a, right. it's a joke that like kills people for sure. But like, it's in general, like, use like six miles inland so they can run it through a butterfly reservation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Even the um, Berlin Wall, which was like inside the city, it was like 40 kilometers, which is not a lot in the end, you know? And even that didn't work. It was a highly controllable environment. Like it couldn't get much better than that, effectively. And even then, it, it failed in the end. All walls fail, always. Yeah. Yep. Wall, the walls don't work unless they're, you know, well, no, the walls don't work. I was thinking about the Theodosian walls and then I was like, oh, wait. No, no, no. <laughs> it's called Istanbul now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Out sure. the rings. Yeah. <laughs> this is, which, which is also what Mehmet said to his like uh, siege engineers um, <laughs> about the concentricism. Um, yeah. <laughs> and also, I, I wanted to add I... just a last, last sidebar about the thing that in Germany, it's a very big thing that. The whole GDR ended non-violently. Like it's very important to people, and they like they really like to bring that up when you have other movements struggling for freedom across the world. In sort of a sense, I don't think they mean it that openly, but that's the way they mean it internally. Like, if we manage to do it without violence, why don't you? And and I think that's really a wrong way of approaching. It. Like the situation mm. is Germany at the end was extremely anomalous. Like if, from the realm of probability, it should have gone the other way. The USSR should have stepped down with big boot and said nope, and and killed a whole bunch of people. But that didn't happen. That doesn't mean that that's the right way of doing it necessarily, or the only way of doing it. Like they lucked out basically. Yeah. And all, you can't all thanks to that. one pizza loving man. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you can't expect uh, that from other war situations around the world. Like, it's not the same thing. You can't just say, oh, if they just went out and protested in the big square, then people would realize, oh, we got to do something about it. That's not quite how it works. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I think, you know, the, the lesson to be learned here, you see a wall, tear that shit down. Yeah. Just punch it. Yeah. Punch I, it I, enough I, yeah, Punch it. For, punch for, punch for a hole once. in the drywall. Well, I think Any we're, wall. we're like all anarchists on this one. Yeah. 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 You get a wall in your house. <laughs> fuck it. Um, you, make you make won, it open Liam, plan. You did it. We, <laughs> yeah, uh, you won. Count the ranks. Yes. <laughs> Every single one of us like rejects a state's sort of like the idea of a state's moral right to impose a, a wall on its borders. So, yeah. Yep. No walls. No masters. Right. That's right. That's right. I have I have stuff for you to read. That's right. <laughs> why, why are you handing me this vegan tray baker no I'm not doing that <laughs> no one gets fed <laughs> no, we, we, got, we got the non the non vegan brownies yeah, they're made of uh, meat these are my meat brownies <laughs> this is your tendency it's called not bombs yeah <laughs> who's gonna make the medicine I love medicine I, uh, I'm not very good at the whole animal liberation thing yet I'm 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 punching the wall next to me right now. Oh, yeah, man, hurting my nuts. Like Just go in on it like old yeah. boy. You know? No, no, it's made of brick. It's it's going to be difficult. Yeah, like old. Um, boy. Also, also, it supports the apartment above me, so I <laughs> yeah, probably yeah. don't want to tear yeah, that one down. Yeah, Miss yeah, Venus would not be thrilled <laughs> with some, you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, tear down every single wall. We have uh, a uh, besides we have, the party walls. We have a podcast called. We, have a, pod, we have a podcast on this segment <laughs> called. Called Safety Third. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hello, Roz, Alice, yay, Liam, and hello, possible guest. Yeah, you did it this time, moron. Yeah, now it. My story comes from my time aboard the Mobile Chernobyl, uh, a- <laughs> uh-huh. aka the USS Enterprise. Oh, yeah, fair oh, enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair I- enough. I've been waiting for a military safety third. <laughs> An aircraft carrier which should have never been built and whose designer's alleged attempts at self-sabotage produced a ship so dysfunctional that they never made another one. Instead, they built two more oil-fired carriers while trying to unfuck the design. Now, this incident was afterwards known to the crew as Muddy Sunday. Oh, Jesus. Oh, that's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) We'd been moored in the repair yards at the Northrop Grumman Newport News shipyards for almost two years trying to complete a regularly scheduled overhaul. Oh, God. (laughs) However, what the fuck? There was not another ship scheduled to come into the yards anytime soon, and shipyard bubbas only get paid if a ship is present for them to work on. So the odds of our repairs getting done in a timely fashion were lower than the chances of a paper dog successfully chasing an asbestos cat through hell on a particularly hot day. Ah. Uh-huh. This is a late Soviet <laughs> Union story. Uh, yeah. I, I, what? <laughs> so, with repairs only partially complete, the Pentagon, in its infinite wish- wisdom, yep. actually got tired of hemorrhaging taxpayer treasure and decided to have us pull out early, go on sea trials, and then finish repairs pierside at Norfolk Naval Base. Now, sea trials are when you try and break things on purpose in order to see if they were properly repaired. Move fast and Note break that I- <laughs> It's Uber, but for aircraft carriers. Yeah. yeah. Note that I said the repairs were not complete. 
Oh, so you just break things to see if they haven't been fixed. <laughs> Another problem that propped up was that the river between the shipyard and the ocean hadn't been dredged in almost two years. Oh, boy. It was due for its regularly scheduled dredging next month, so the chief engineer, or Shang, oh, pronounced Chang, actually went up to the flight deck, pulled out his cell phone, called the appropriate staff at the Pentagon to inform them that he was staring at sandbars that were blocking the ship and to please either delay the pullout or move up the dredging. 18th century-ass, uh, like, seamanship problem. Like, calling up the Pentagon being like, I'm becalmed. Hey, yeah. like, can you guys... Hey, the where, horse where, where's the Army Corps of Engineers when I need them? Yeah. Reminds me of the last episode. Um... <laughs> So the Pentagon said to just pull out anyway. So we did. Oh boy. We didn't even make it out to the ocean before the tugboats had to come rescue us. <laughs> ships, especially steam-powered ships like nuclear aircraft carriers, have to suck up cooling water to cool the condensers that draw steam through the turbines. Essentially, nuclear power is hot rock makes water boil, boil boiling water makes steam, steam makes the turbine go roundy-roundy, Roundy, roundy shaft spins the propellers and the generators. I see why Navy nuke school has the highest attrition rate besides <laughs> SEALs. Yeah. That's very complex, yeah. I, I mean, you know. Only without a cold condenser to suck the steam through the turbine, the turbine doesn't go roundy, roundy. Oh, no. Now, I was a new guy, just coming off a night shift, so my first hint something was wrong was three announcements in a row over the ship's PA system announcing various condenser failures. Then the words, scram, all eight reactors, muster all nuclear trained personnel in the aft bomb transfer area. Okay. I had no, no, no clue where that area was, so I just rolled out of my rack and followed the mad rush out of berthing. A scram is an emergency shutdown of a nuclear reactor. Uh, no, no one's actually clear on where scram comes from it's an acronym Security control rod axe man sometimes mooted sometimes as like yeah. a guy mm -hmm. with an axe had to cut a rope in the like original fermi reactor but no one yeah knows. yeah but the, yeah exactly but it but when you do an emergency shutdown that's essentially what happens so now what happened exactly what happened was exactly what the chief engineer thought would happen and as the ship passed over the sandbar the cooling water pumps sucked up a mass of James River mud, trash, Ugh. debris, and sea life, which proceeded to block the narrow condenser, uh, narrow condenser channels through which cooling water is supposed to flow. We then immediately lost all electrical power, propulsion, and the ability to draw in more cooling water for our nuclear reactors, while adrift in an inland waterway of the continental United States. Jesus fuck. Outstanding. <laughs> Fortunately, the ship had four emergency diesel generators which start automatically if the power is lost, and one of them did. <laughs> <laughs> they managed to start, start another one three hours later. The other two never started. Outstanding. Meanwhile, with no ventilation, temperatures and humidity in the steam plant soared, reaching 160 degrees Fahrenheit with 100% humidity in some areas. A literal sauna. Oh, cool. Having your, like, wet bulb moment in, it, yeah. in yeah. the engineering compartments of an aircraft carrier, which sounds yeah, terrible at the best of times. Say, about to say, we're about to, about to sweat Geordie LaForge to death. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> 
These spaces held critical equipment that had to be manned at all times. Watch standard cycles through as fast as possible when one one especially dedicated senior chief refused to leave. Eventually, his men realized he was talking nonsense. He was beat red, and he had stopped sweating. So a gang of them wrestled him up the two flights of 70-degree angle stairs. It's probably a ship ladder. I don't know if anyone knows what a ship ladder is, but it's... Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's it's kind of uh go Google the ship ladder. <laughs> go to the USS New Jersey and be very uncomfortable at it. Yeah, or the the what's the submarine we visited? Yeah. Uh the Nautilus that we went on. Nautilus, yeah. Wrestled up two flights of 70 degree angle stairs that were too hot to touch while he fought them as hard as he could. <laughs> I love heat exhaustion, man. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> I <laughs> They carried him all the way to medical where they had to monitor his core temperature rectally as they worked successfully to keep the heat stroke from killing him. Outstanding. The muddy part of Muddy Sunday comes from what happened next when the mechanics had to open up all the condensers and clean out thousands of individual condenser tubes with pressure washers. Oh, gross. You have to rinse out the big spaghetti. Oh. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It got everywhere imagine walking up to a manure pile pile spraying it with a pressure washer at point blank range and getting hit with the back blast and you have to have an accurate picture except it was the putrid bottom silt of a polluted river mixed with sea life paste mm. oh. i kind of think the pentagon should have maybe listened to the chief engineer instead of a uh, the ass kissing co who ignored his own chief engineer and told the Pentagon what they wanted to hear. Thanks for the great podcast. Keep up the good work. And N-A-V-Y, never again volunteer yourself. Understandable. <laughs> Hell yeah. Fly Navy. Yeah. Amazing. Safety third. Shake hands with danger. Our next episode is... I forgot I put the Chernobyl slide. Yeah, our next episode is this bird. Um, yeah, this bird. I, I, I nice. will say, uh, the, the, is that a Roadrunner? Looks. I think like that it. might be a Roadrunner. Well, thanks so much for coming. Um, yeah. Like, if if you have listened to two hours and a half of this without subscribing to the YouTube channel, what the fuck is wrong with you? Please Very do that. Very close to uh, one hundred thousand followers. In which case, we get the plaque, and then I can, oh, I, I, can I can, I can, I can, I can be at least equivalent to Alan Fisher. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, Edward. Does like, are we promoting anything? Do we want like? No, as a museum worker, go to your local museums. They like you. They love you. They need you. They are not appreciated. Concept of museums. Yeah, concept yeah. of museum. Except if your local museum is on strike, um, then don't. Do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't scab at your museum. But otherwise, uh, yeah. yeah. Check otherwise, out, come out to Berlin. Museums. It's a nice broken city, which is what makes it nice. Mm. And don't be an ass and don't stand on the street when I'm trying to ride my bike. <laughs> <laughs> but thank uh, you for having me. Yeah, for on. pleasure. Yeah, thanks for coming thanks on. So um, our next episode is on this Roadrunner. Um, yeah, I guess that's, that's the end of the podcast. That's a podcast, folks. We did a podcast. Bye. 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 Ah.